All right, Poppy's on. Now we can start. A, g- a good Thursday morning to you. It's the 4th of November. You're tuned into Real Talk. This episode is presented by the team at Bitcoin Well that I've been telling you this week. We share in the, the celebration, the commemoration of founding CEO Adam O'Brien, all 29 years old of him. It's a weird thing to mention unless there's a context to provide. The 29-year-old founder of Bitcoin Well named to Edmonton's top 40 under 40 on this year's list put out by Edify. Our good friends at Edify, I'm thrilled to be participating in their event next week. Uh, You can learn more about it on their website. And uh, again, a huge shout out to Adam O'Brien, officially a top 40 under 40. We've known that for a long time. Adam's like a top 10 under 50, which automatically qualifies him for the top 40 under 40. You know what I mean? If they kept out, why am I taking this in this direction? People are like, Ryan, this is inappropriate. Focus. Focus. 40 people have their name on that list and they are all well-deserved. And that's true. But if you had to cut the list to like 10 or five. I like that you double down. As a matter of fact, in 90 minutes, we're going to go through the list of 40 and cut it to five. No, we're not going to do that. Congratulations, Adam, from all of us here at Real Talk. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. The stunning Carrie Skelton providing voiceover work for Real Talk there. We should maybe use Wyatt again, maybe tomorrow. What do you think? Yeah, we haven't done that for a while. Yeah, I like that one. You know what we're going to have to do also is get him back in here, because I think last time he recorded it, you're listening to my dad, Ryan Jesperson. He was probably four. No, he would have been five. He was five, yeah. But it's amazing how quickly things change, how Mm -hmm. quickly they grow up. Good morning, everybody. Coming up in about, uh, I guess, about 10 minutes from now, we're going to this is an amazing story that Hoyles has dug up. Uh, Dr. Adele Guttuni is going to join us, an international business expert out of UVic, out of the University of Victoria. Um, We we could say things like we're going to talk about why global supply chains have been slowed due to contributing factors and whatever. But if we just said Nintendo's announced that production on Switch is done for the year because of microchips, then people might go, er, or what? What? Must watch. What's going on? This is, I mean, of course, this is all around. And we know that for the families that are watching, for Real Talk that's on in the family rooms and the kitchens right now, live on this Thursday morning, we want to, of course, remind everybody that this does not impact anything that Santa and his elves are doing. Not at all. This is more for everybody else. That's so right. no worries about what's shaking at the North Pole, but, but what's going on? In the other parts. Well, we've heard about it with trucks as well when we're talking about, you know, what vehicles are available with the microchips. Yeah. The idea is, it's not just an idea, it's what's happening on the ground, on the oceans, that container ships are not able to get stuff off. Um, There's like employee shortages, but also just material shortages. And because it's wild ultimately, and it's going to impact Christmas. Yeah. So uh, this is no longer sort of, um, I think, something that, uh, you know, people will go, well, yeah, it's it's November. Like you've got seven weeks. to. uh, This is is for, for a lot of people. A friend of mine, she was tweeting the other day about how she was all done her Christmas shopping. She was Excuse all done me, her Christmas what? shopping. As a matter of fact, I think the beginning to the middle of October. 
Uh, I don't know if she wants all this attention. Well, she tweeted about it, but, but <laughs> Kiki, good friend of ours, good friend of the show, oh, yeah. Kathleen Smith, she tweeted that she was done her her Christmas shopping like at the beginning of October. And I'm look and I like trust me, I don't get me, don't misinterpret what I'm about to say here. I respect that a lot. I mean, that's you are, you are organized. Yeah. If that's the case, it also but, makes me feel kind of bad about myself. Makes me feel a little bad. It, it, here's the thing, though. I'm also I've told you before. I'm I'm already off track on the story. Remind me when I when I seem to hit the quicksand. You guys just go Kiki. And then that'll focus me again. I'm a bit of a collector, not a hoarder, but a collector. But that means that I always have something if put on the spot to gift. For example, I already have two solid ideas of things I could gift the two of you. If I realized all of a sudden, oh, no, I've not taken care of expect, you know, expected obligations. I suppose you could slim that down to expectations. If I've not taken care of it, I could I could find something to gift the both of you. No problem. I can't so, wait to see my present tomorrow. So Sam, yeah, if, no if Sam, if you get a flat of assorted craft beers, I will present those to you as a, a curation process that took weeks. What it really is is me hitting the beer fridge at home, scrambling to get you twenty-four beers. And of course, I know I won't have twenty-four matching ones, so you'll get an, a, an assortment pack. Right, you curated it. I see. Yeah, but like, like the 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 net result is i get 24 craft beers like i don't care so you're not complaining i'm really not complaining see everybody's happy yeah question coils for you somebody gifted me something beautiful i'm not going to say what it is because i might actually give it to you still someone gave me something stunning this year the only problem was that i had been gifted the exact same stunning item by somebody else just a couple of weeks earlier Mm. and so now i have this stunning item handcrafted Ooh, speaking my language sitting in my closet protected protected from from dust in real life and protected in my closet to, to gift to someone maybe it'll be you who knows i have a question though go ahead can you say that you're not a hoarder like i don't feel like the person can actually say whether or not they're a hoarder you're feel, a hoarder this is you know you're like you this, said you're a collector not a hoarder i'm like yeah. i don't know that you get to decide that no it's true <laughs> because if you when and here's where I get into this is going to be the, called my justification journey. Uh, but if you were to say to me, uh, what's an example? Yesterday, I went to tighten the shave, right? I went to just like create the, the jawline, right? The, you know, to sort of like trim out the beard. And I went to use my razor and I thought, gosh, that's really kind of pulling and hurting and it's going to leave a razor. Ra-. It's like I have not replaced it as I should. And so I bolt downstairs to the basement. House is 107 years old. So the basement is what it is. It's a storage room. Uh, You know, don't envision a 70 inch TV with leather recliner chairs and a fabulously stocked wet bar with hardwood floors. That is not our basement. But I was up 10 seconds later with this sort of carrying case type basket thing with like about 80 Schick razors in there. Why did I say the name brand? Schick doesn't pay us. Buy your razors, whichever you want. Gillette's good. There's a lot of good razors. <laughs> but back from my days on the Movember committee, they had given me like a ton of razors. I've given away like 500 of them. Stocking stuffers, always putting them in like birthday cards for the fellas. Like they're like, what's with all these razors? Carrie's like, did you just produce 80 razors? I was like, yeah. And what was I think most impressive to her, if I may speak on her behalf was that I was able to produce those 80 razors right away. Now, a hoarder might have, and I'm not, people are going to say, hey, you know, there's some mental illness that goes into hoarding and don't make fun of it. And I'm not making fun of the people, but, but like the scenario is quite remarkable. Let's call it what it is. They do TV shows about it. Buddy of mine 
has a junk removal company. Junk guys. Good guy. Uh, he used like they go into homes and use snow shovels to clear out the hoard. They just have pathways through the house. These are the ones where I'm sorry to say this for the same people that are still eating their breakfast, watching and listening to real talk. People that find like dead cats in the, right behind the stuff, you know, behind the piles. And they've got every single newspaper ever delivered since 1971. I mean, that's the difference. I'm just like, I have 300 T-shirts in my closet, but they're all folded and stacked by color. So they're organized. But if I need if I want to put it, put a little outfit together for real talk and I need sort of an off gray, soft cotton T-shirt, I have about six to choose from. But they're not like all piled in the floor with mice making homes in the pile. You know what I'm saying? There's a bit of a difference. Justification? Yeah, it's my justification journey. I told you what it is. Kiki. So back to Kiki. She's got her. That was right at the key time because I was starting to flounder just a little bit. And real talkers are going like they're like, we're here for the show as long as there's content worth listening to. And so we'll deliver there. So, yeah, so she's completed her Christmas shopping by early October. So she will not be affected by these supply chain interruptions. But I know that this actually is going to be problematic for people. What I'm really hoping, if I can say, is that this just means that a ton of people are going to be shopping local, which is really great. Assuming that local retailers are supporting local artisans and that things like these international supply chain hiccups aren't going to impact their supply. Yeah, precisely. So Um, speaking of supplies. This is an interesting segue. Uh, I wanted to let you know it's a huge day here at Real Talk because we've launched two new items in our merch store. Yeah, that's right. We're now up to six items. You may say, oh, you know, you you hit three and a half million downloads uh, before your first year. Or you may say the prime minister's been on this shows. I say we have six items now on our merch page. And that's what I think qualifies us as big shots. So if you check this out, Sam, I'll scare, uh, share my screen here. RyanJesperson.com slash merch. You can just click on it on the top bar. You will see as of this morning, we are officially launching our Real Talk mug 2.0. This is, let me know what you think, the Crescent mug. Now, of course, a lot of people have fallen in love with our diner mug, which we're using on set right now. The Crescent mug, they are. Uh, a few of them on route to Edmonton so we can have them. They are just in our Crescent mugs. Real talk mug 2.0 a, a little bit more. I don't want to call them delicate because they're still strong, mug, but they're like a little lighter in the hand. The diner mugs can be used for self-defense. We've said they are heavy. The Crescent mug is a little bit more like latte oriented or if you like just a bit of a wider mouth. I'm thinking of the Canadian classic wide mouth Mason. If you like a wide mouth mug, the Crescent mug is the mug for you. We are also launching as of literally right this minute. Our version one of the limited edition Real Talk golf ball. And you can pick up a sleeve of three, as we've said, if you are the type of person or you know the type of person that would like to send either the Real Talk logo or my face down the fairway. I was going to say, I mean, your face is front and center on that ball. You're okay with that? uh, It's intentional. My friend, uh, this is a lesson I learned. Here's a bit of a local reference or for anybody that's 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 watched Canadian Football League coverage over the past 50 years. Everybody knows the legendary Hall of Fame broadcaster, Brian Hall, who's uh, a very dear personal friend of mine. And I learned that from Halsey. He comes and he says, hey, kid, he says, you know, it was one of the coolest things he's ever done were their Hall's balls. And they were Brian Hall's smiling face on golf balls. <laughs> Love him or hate him, 
You're going to love smashing them off the tee. You can get your Real Talk golf balls right now at ryanjesperson.com slash merch. Now, before we get going on our, our leadoff interview, we're going to be talking global su- supply chain. I'm excited that Negan Sinclair is back to join us today. Uh, the Anishinaabe writer, a columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press, uh, gave us a lot to think about when he was last on the show September 15th. We're going to check in with him on, on COP26 and a whole bunch of other stuff. Why don't we take a quick look at what's been going on at the U.N. Climate Change Conference right now? There's a lot to talk about, and we've got some great background information. Hoyles and I might jump into that a little bit later on with regards to the coal pledge. And of course, we're going to be talking about Brian Jean, former federal conservative MP, former MLA, former leader of the Wild Rose Party in Alberta. He's going to seek the nomination to run in the by-election in Fort McMurray. This is huge, obviously, because of the background. Brian Jean ran for the leadership of the United Conservative Party against Jason Kenney, right? Uh, was unsuccessful in that. There's a whole lot that goes into that story. And Jean is now on the record, essentially talking about how people, quote, hate Jason Kenney. This in a column with Rick Bell yesterday. So using the word hate is pretty hefty, a uh, pretty heavy way to roll in, especially considering Kenny's ultimately got to sign off on the nomination papers, right, for him to do this. So this is just, I mean, I love this stuff. I love this stuff. But if you're, you know, on the UCP party executive, I'm not sure you love this stuff. If you're if, if you're hoping for like calm waters and steady eddy conservative governance in the province of Alberta, you do not love this stuff. How do you say that with a straight face? Well, because it's what I do. I'm paid to do it. I've been doing it professionally. I've been keeping a straight face. See, if you keep a straight face, then the slight, the slight little things are very powerful. But back to COP26 for a second. When it comes to what everybody's talking about and we always want to lead off real talk with the buzz if you only tune in for the first 10 or 15 minutes if this is where you catch us on the dog walk i'm going to divert again remind me back cop 26 as soon as i hit the quicksand hoils sarah does something amazing every single day that i think is worth listening to i've had a lot of people like a ton of people come up to me in person and say i love real talk i love what you're doing but i don't have two and a half hours every day and so i aren't i'm not always able to catch it what would be great is if i could just jump to the interview i want and i go but here's the thing if you check out the description if you click show or expand or whatever it says on your phone or your tablet or your laptop or wherever you're catching real talk the description for both our youtube broadcast and our podcast has the time codes for the kickoff to every interview and you can click on those numbers and jump right there so if you want to hear negon sinclair right now you want to skip past me talking about cop or you're not from alberta and the brian gene stuff doesn't really interest you you're tuning in from newfoundland good morning or good afternoon to you you just click on that time code in the show description it'll jump you ahead right to the interview so at cop 26 the pm the prime minister of barbados mia motley is speaking to world leaders. It was about an eight minute address, and we're not going to take the time to play the full one. You can easily find it online, Uh, but we wanted to play a portion of it to represent the different perspectives. You know, China, India, not there. Japan, not in on the coal pledge. Everybody hears from Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau and and Bojo and Boris Johnson out of the UK. But but what about these other nations? Uh, Many of them island nations, many of them in the third world or developing countries where climate change is just as much, if not more, of a reality. And not just climate change, as you're about to hear. A great perspective here from Barbados Prime Minister Mia Motley. So I ask to you, What must we say to our people living on the front line in the Caribbean, in Africa, 
in Latin America, in the Pacific, when both ambition and regrettably some of the needed faces at Glasgow are not present. What excuse should we give for the failure? In the words of that Caribbean icon, Eddie Grant, will they mourn us on the front line? When will we, as world leaders across the world, address the pressing issues that are truly causing our people angst and worry, whether it is climate or whether it is vaccines? Simply put, when will leaders lead? Incredibly powerful stuff. <clears throat> when will leaders lead? That from Mia Motley, the Prime Minister of Barbados. We're looking for your thoughts on this. Coming up on Friday, our Real Talk Roundtable is dedicated to talk around climate. Of course, the jumping off point is COP26. But we're going to get into different perspectives, different angles, some of the under-discussed stuff. And oftentimes, that's you that puts that on our radar. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And you can, of course, find that link right on our website, where, again, our merch page is where I'm amazed to announce that just moments after we revealed Real Talk Mug 2.0, the Crescent Mug, Wayne Paulson, Real Talker Wayne Paulson, has become the first to order the Crescent Mug 2.0, and not just one, he's ordered six of them. Unbelievable stuff. I'm glad we did a big run on these ones. Because of folks like Wayne, Wayne, I might have to. Well, we'll see. We'll see what Wayne's address is. I wonder if there might be some sort of a special delivery. I don't know. I mean, you, you want to be careful making these promises. But every once in a while, you got to show a little love and appreciation, don't you? We sure appreciate our friends at Athabasca University. It's Canada's online university. And if you're looking for something to maybe shake up your routine a little bit, maybe, maybe you don't have that very clear focus. Like, what am I going to do next? Why not start by taking some programs and courses that interest you? It's, it's not like it's going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 a.m. hard start for 90 minutes. You can complete your classes whenever you like online at AthabascaU.ca. You learn at your pace. The flexibility is a huge reason why people across the country are signing up for the world-class accredited online programs and courses at Athabasca University. That's AthabascaU.ca. We're also thrilled to be back in partnership with our friends at the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra. They've got some amazing stuff coming up through the next couple of months, November and December. You can read all about it at windspearcenter.com. Did you know that concert start tickets to the ESO at $25? They're accessible, more accessible than you thought. And get this, if you're a real talker, there's an even better benefit. The exclusive code REALTALK, all one word, at windspearcenter.com is going to give you 10% off your tickets to go see the symphony, including Mozart and Trumpet on November 5th and 6th. That's coming up tomorrow night. What about Peter and the Wolf, a symphony for kids on November 13th? And do not miss the spotlight on living composers, including the Windspear debut of the piece composed by the annual Young Composer Project winner. That's Arrival coming up November 19th. Again, all the information and 10% off with the code REALTALK at windspearcenter.com. Well, you know, it's going to catch people's attention around the world when you announce or when you tell people about the announcement that Nintendo 
has basically shut down all projections on production of its very popular switch console. It's because of microchip availability or lack thereof. We've been talking about, like Sarah said about this, with pickup trucks and cars and so many other things uh, for the past number of months. Global supply chain issues are becoming a reality for people leading into the holiday season. Dr. Adele Guituni is an international business expert and associate professor of management sciences, decision support systems and international business at the Gustafson School of Business out of the University of Victoria. We're grateful that the good doctors agreed to join us this morning. Welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, good morning, and thank you for having me. You know, we talk about global supply chain, and people kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff they talk about on BNN or the stuff they talk about on Bloomberg. It's not the type of thing that affects me, but people are about to realize that it certainly can, aren't they? Yes, and I think it, it has been. I think we are just discovering it. Everything uh, that comes to us, wherever we are in urban or uh, rural Canada, depends on supply chains. So what's the deal here with these big interruptions? And I know that a lot of people for many months were, were saying that Suez Canal blockage, for example, had a huge impact around the world. People were pointing to the Texas storms uh, as an interruption in the microchip production. But are there other factors at play or is this still the ripple effect from those? Uh, there are many, but maybe before that, I think it's important to impact with the supply chain for your uh, listeners. Uh, so supply chain is uh, used to be uh, associated with the purchasing or the procurement function of, of a business, uh, but slowly it has, or I would say more, it was accelerated with the globalization to becoming uh, these different organization companies that are independent of each other uh, that are involved in the value chain. When we call it, when they call the value chain is all the different activities that are performing to deliver a product or a service. So now if you take anything that you do have in the studio, in the house, uh, in your house, and you think about it and you think where it's coming from and you start really thinking about the chain and all of those people involved that you don't know about them, uh, all of that is part of the supply chain. So when you think about now to answer your question about what is going on, um, it is going on many things. So for, for with the globalization, we have pushed these supply chain and we stretched them uh, globally. So uh, under the pressure of reducing costs, so we moved a lot of production to different countries and we have built these shipping lines, these big ships, these containers, these ports, uh, warehouses, distribution centers, fulfillment centers, that are between you and where that thing is, is being produced. So the, the product and service. So what COVID-19 has did, did actually to all of this, it put uh, a pressure on the extreme of it. So the demand, because now people, they have more disposable income, most of us, not all of us. Um, and we are spending money on renovation, on buying stuff and so on. So the money that we usually we use to buy, for example, entertainment or travels and so on, is now available to us to spend online. So that is, and, and some of the numbers I have seen is that like our demand for those products has increased by 25%. So this is, is a huge change in the demand pattern. And at the same time, remember actually when the COVID started, many of the production centers 
in China, in north of Italy, in many places around the world, in mines, in forests, and so on. A lot of operations were shut down, so they have a problem of the supply. So when we're trying to catch up that backlog of supply, like the, the back orders that we had at the time, and we're trying to, to, to uh, um, catch up with that, and then you have a surge of the demand, and because the these supply chains, they have de been developed under the pressure of cost reduction. So there is no slack. There is no redundancies. There is no contingencies. So what we see is the result of that. Generally speaking, this might be uh, this. This might actually be a question where you go, it's, it's too difficult to answer because maybe there's too many factors that go in. The question may be too simplistic. But is the supply chain, the global supply chain, better now than it was 10 years ago. I'm sure that there are efficiencies and I'm sure that cost to consumer is driven down, but it sounds like it's also more vulnerable. Is it better now than it was 10 years ago? No, I think my assessment to that, it's very fragile. So it is, uh, I think we have made a lot of advancement. Um, again, we have, uh, there are a lot of positive impact to these kind of global supply chains, but they are vulnerable. There is nobody actually controlling or supervising these supply chain when you have these different issues that are going on. Uh, nobody is really uh, in the middle trying to sort out all of these. So it becomes like these different companies that are doing it together. Um, the other one is um, we, 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 these supply chain now are hiding a lot of atrocities that are happening along these supply chains. For example, think about uh, um, the child labor, think about forced labor, think about people working in very, very kind of precarious uh, uh, conditions to get us that cheap whatever product. Like recently, for example, if you, uh, you, you go and watch the marketplace on CBC, they are talking about the tomato, for example. It's a, it's a very nice piece that shows how the supply chain, they can hide a lot of that. Um, so yes, it has really given, given us a lot of efficiency, reduction of cost, connectiveness. We are able actually to work around the, the, the world, around the clock, uh, but also it is very fragile. So what are you expecting to see come December 18th, 19th, 20th, like when people start to sweat, when guys in particular are at London drugs at 9.58 p.m. in the candy aisle trying to find something they can give their sweetheart. You know about this panic I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. What does this mean late mid to late December? Uh, I, th I think it's going to be people will have very bad surprises because, again, I, I believe a lot. It's So the problems that we see now with the shortages in some of the products and, and the ripple effect that is happening uh, along these chains is gonna exist is gonna get worse before it gets better. So I think uh, uh, I would believe maybe end of 2022 that we will see some kind of going back to normal, if not 2023, at the best. But I hope we will not go back to the same normal. So you would be surprised uh, if you if you are not planning ahead. But the problem is, and this is uh, where I, I I differ from maybe some of other people or other experts on supply chain. I would recommend people really to rethink their pattern of buying because if we all rush to go to buy that item that you want for um, uh, as a gift for, for Christmas, uh, what we're doing is we are adding more pressure on the supply chain. It's the demand pressure that is going to go up. And if that is going to go up, then 
it's not going to recover. It's going to break more. And we're going to, so, so my recommendation to those people that are going to be running in London drug, maybe think buying local, think about things yeah. that are uh, provided by local businesses or by artists that are in your neighborhood or by Alberta or by Canada, by North America. At least we don't have actually to travel these products from um, Asia or other kind of places. Uh, think about maybe thrift. Uh, stores think about uh, reusing because the the other impact of these global supply chain is the environment because we are stretching them so thin and we bring in stuff now at your kind of average product is traveling thousands of miles to get to you um, that is not sustainable for the long term so my recommendation is maybe we need to reason about what we need to buy and and do we really need that latest kind of gadget or is it better maybe to think about offering something that is more personal that is more local that has more kind of uh, value instead of going and rushing to london, london drug i had a uh, i had uh, adele a, a moment of shame uh, i'm actually still experiencing the moment of shame uh, I went online. I needed to find the perfect new shoes for this basketball team I've just joined. The, the jerseys are remarkable, purple, black, and white. And I thought purple kicks are going to look great here. It just so happens that Nike's released the new Jordans in purple. I ordered them. <laughs> and while I was on the website, I saw a hoodie and sweatpant combo that I just had to have. So I added all three to the cart. I hit purchase. And I was then notified that all three items are being shipped to me separately. And so yesterday I received the pants and soon I'm sure I'll receive the hoodie and then maybe the shoes. And I'm sitting here going a delivery. And I am actually being serious about this. Three trips in a delivery truck will bring yeah. these three items separately to my home. The packaging cumulatively of all three will probably be unacceptable even to the most casual environmentalist. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm excited about the new shoes, but I felt pretty bad about the way everything's arriving. It is. And I think that is part of the, the problem What we see is um, because uh, it, it, for, for these companies, uh, if we just think about the, the packaging, it costs them less than to start really sorting out and, and combining and aggregating for if you start really trying to optimize these deliveries. Um, because the, the 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 burden on on them and trying to figure out all of that is is kind of uh, difficult now. Probably with the technology like the the data analysis and and artificial intelligence will be able to do better than that. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, um, this pattern of consumption that is online and also we expect it to come the next day, so the twenty four hour delivery. Um, it is continually pushing uh, the, the, the main kind of argument of reducing the cost and being very responsive. But at the same time, now when you start really accounting for the other impacts, so you mentioned the environment, but I am very concerned also by the human being. Uh, think about the people that are working in these factories. Think about like, for example, Amazon is using um, KPI, like an employee has to touch uh, a box every 15 seconds. Uh, so we have to start thinking about all of those people behind the scene that are really making all of this happen because what COVID-19 has, I hope, actually got us to now understand that there are people moving these supply chains. 
there are people all over the place. Without them, we cannot get what we're getting. Think about the truck driver. Think about the people in the port. People that are really living on ships, these kind of big container ships, uh, people that are making our stuff. As I mentioned, actually, people working under, under slavery conditions. And, and there are millions of people working under those conditions for us to get a, a very cheap um, um, item. So my, my actually uh, point to, to, to all of us is think that all of these supply chain, they exist to serve you. If there is no demand, if there is no customers, there is no supply chain. So we have a lot of power to make sure that this supply chain will be more robust for the future, more resilient, and treat people correctly and treat the environment correctly as well. This is music to my ears. Dr. Lisa is watching in live right now, says these conversations have me thinking how much the pandemic has highlighted so many things that we previously took for granted. Lisa says, I know I never thought much about the global supply chain before. Thanks for the insight today. I so appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. That's uh, Dr. Adele Gatuni out of the University of Victoria. We'll certainly chat with him again. That's great insight. Uh, let me read some of these comments. These are these are really great. Uh, appreciate the real talkers chiming in. Right. And, and you know what? Like we said it before and then he reiterated it. And I feel like it's an obvious one. You know, make this the holiday season of shopping local and supporting local or maybe I don't want to say better because local retailers deserve and, and are probably in some circumstances are desperate for our support. But also maybe make this the holiday season of of no expenditures at all. Right. I mean, like, I love this from Debbie, who says my kids are adults now uh, when they were in university and poor. <laughs> we stopped giving gifts and started giving experiences instead. And she uh, Debbie says this has been a game changer. It's not about the money. It's about time together. I love that idea. I a couple of years ago said I didn't want gifts mm -hmm. and boy, did I get in trouble. Is that right? I got in so much trouble because well, you're shaking people's like understanding of what the holiday season is to the core, I bet. Absolutely. But I love that idea of experiences. I mean, even just how you're talking about giving craft beer to, to, Sam. to Sam, the idea of like <laughs> that it's no, but it's beautiful because it's like, I've thought of this. Uh, I've gotten a whole bunch of different kinds of products that I think that you might like. They're made locally. Yes. It's the thought. I don't know. I love it when someone gets you something or like they see you like, I, Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, it sounds going to be if I don't give him a flat of <laughs> crap, he's going to be so disappointed. I'll give okay. I'll give Sam like custom done dress shoes and like a, just a beautiful new blazer. And he'll be like, what about the what about the assorted craft beer? I thought I was getting. I don't know, man. Like custom, <laughs> custom dress shoes and a new blazer sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, there you go. Um, How do you like have you what's your family? Like, so Hoyle's uh, was that last year you said no gifts? You, that just, was... you just said just just cash, please. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, yeah. I, I actually said no, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. It's not that I don't want to give because yeah. I, I love giving people gifts, but um, that's one of my love languages. Oh, yeah. Um, but I was like, I don't I don't want you to get me anything. I don't want to be a part of this thing where there's this requirement to give me something and go out and spend the time and get like the supply chain, blah, blah, blah. That was two years ago. And I got in so much shit like. Huh. And then the next year I was like, you know what? It's not worth the grief. So, yeah, sure. Give me. So gifts. shower me with gifts, everybody. <laughs> How do yeah. you guys approach it, Sam? Like, I mean, we've always been like big gift givers at, at Christmas and that kind of thing, too. But it's like I totally get that whole. I mean, first of all, I'm somebody that is like massively into the the shopping local. Um, 
the uh, like if I can plug something in Edmonton every year, there's the Royal Bison Market, yeah, which great. I probably buy eighty percent of my Christmas gifts from. Yeah, smart man. So, but uh, one thing I'd actually love to plug is is my my mom and her siblings, so my aunts and uncles, probably more than a decade ago, decided collectively one Christmas that they were they were done with gifts for each other and they were going to uh, rotate every year who picks the charity that they all give a big donation to. And that's their Christmas that. tradition from then forward. And it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Um, this is uh, while we're plugging things. Um, and this is something that we're not partnered with them on Real Talk. I mean, I'd be happy to. Some things we obviously just are happy to use our platform to support. Um, I've been supporting Plan Canada for the past three or four years now. This, I think, will be the fifth year. Uh, PlanCanada.ca. It's a really neat opportunity um, to donate to causes that have a very real impact, to initiatives, I should say, that have a really real impact around the world. And oftentimes your donations are matched by federal government programs or other programs up to four times, which is really great. And so if you're looking at, I mean, even, you know, $25 or 50 or 100 or $500, I mean, once those are matched, those are huge. And uh, these are these are initiatives where, you know, you just go on the site, plancanada.ca. Again, we're not officially partnered with them, but but I this is something I do personally, and I would recommend you look into it. If you're looking for, for something meaningful, um, you can send girls to school and buy school supplies for, for young girls or young kids. You could... Uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, provide uh, these new the, the, like newborn kits. This is what we did the year that uh, I guess I've been doing it more than five because our little guy, the year he was born, we did it. And um, and, and so everyone on our list receives a printed card. You can have them send it to you either in the mail, either directly in the mail or they'll send them all to you. That's what we do. So we stuff them in the stockings and stuff like that. But a beautiful card that just tells the recipient, hey, listen, in your name, you know, 10 Women that are, you know, that have just had babies or attend new families around the world are getting, you know, whatever they need, like a new sort of an infant kit with like a blanket and a bottle and some formula or, or you know, their first shots or like whatever the case may be. Um, this show is I don't know. I don't need to drag this in, but unapologetically pro vaccine. And so, you know, I mean, if there were an initiative there to make sure that kids around the world are getting things like malaria shots or anything else, this is how you can make it happen through PlanCanada.ca. So that's what we've been doing. I love they. I mean, it's not the only organization that does it, but Plan Canada does it um, like donate a goat. So you can actually yes, which, start somebody off. Yeah, which I, I did because my brother and sister-in-law and their two kids live in Australia. So we can't really do something that's, you yeah. know, well, I can order stuff in Australia and it can get shipped, blah, 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 blah. But this is nicer. They've got partners in those countries already. Yeah. They've got the programs established. They've got their charitable status. Everything's trustworthy. And plus, you don't have to support that asshole, Franklin Graham, uh, who's taken his Samaritan's purse. People do these Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. But it's, of course, spearheaded by Franklin Graham, who's turned into an absolute nut. Uh, he's just like uh, I always I look back and, and if you read that uh, feature on me back in May in Edify uh, when they talked about real talk and we were in that innovation issue, the interviewer actually kind of took it in an interesting direction. I had mentioned a fascination when I was a young man with Billy Graham, with the, the renowned, I mean, the legendary preacher. And uh, I, I looking back, like I wasn't an adult when Billy Graham was in his prime. So I still probably have a bit of a childlike understanding of what he was all about. I still hold Billy Graham in pretty high regard. I'm sure that a lot of people could probably find reasons to hate on Billy Graham. And that's fine. But Franklin Graham, his son, has taken 
in my mind that work and just driven it into the ditch talking about donald trump and the other day franklin's tweeting about how i mean i've already talked too much about franklin graham in these 45 seconds but he's talking about how it's not the vaccine it's not covid 19 and it's certainly not climate change that mankind needs to worry about with the end days it's the return of christ and he said we are one minute to midnight on that which means it's the annual franklin graham donation drive the one minute to midnight donation drive send all your money but don't instead go to a group that's doing amazing work like PlanCanada.ca. Sounds like an advertising mention, but it wasn't. I want to get to something before Negan Sinclair joins us, because this is big news in Alberta right now. Brian Jean, the former member of parliament, representing the good folks of Fort McMurray, a former MLA out of Fort McMurray as well, and of course, former leader of the Wild Rose Party, a contender, a former contender for the leadership of the United Conservative Party, has announced, well, not just announced, he's filed his papers as of yesterday uh, with Elections Alberta. He wants to run in that by-election uh, in Fort McMurray. Of course, the MLA out of Fort McMurray is now a member of parliament. Her successful run to Ottawa, which means that seat is open. And it's got a lot of people talking about I can't stop from laughing just because this is just the saga. The plot thickens. That's what this is. Right. Brian Jean and Jason Kenny cannot stand each other. And now Jean wants to get into that party. And you know where this goes. Everybody can see, right? This is like this is the opposite of the Titanic, where all of a sudden the boat hits the iceberg and everybody goes, what the hell? This is this is like the Titanic is still sitting in port and someone astutely says there's a massive iceberg like, about, I don't know, about 48 hours sailing ahead of us. And everybody goes noted. Now, will they do anything about it? Who knows? But the iceberg is there. Brian Jean, and and I'm hoping he'll come on the show to talk to us. I'm sure he will. Brian and I have spoken many times, and I'm looking forward to it. He'll say, did you just compare me joining the party to the Titanic? And I'll say, Brian, I was reaching for a metaphor quickly. But the point is, I think everybody can understand what this means and what's going to happen here. You, Sam, are giggling in your seat And I want to pick Sarah's very kind of stoic about this right now. So I suspect we may get two different interpretations of this. My understanding here or my perception of this is that Brian's got to get his nomination paper signed by the party, which means by Jason Kenney. Now, is the party supporting Jason Kenney right now? Or does Jason Kenney still call the shots for the party? That's a question to be seen. If Jason Kenney refuses to sign Brian Jean's nomination papers, you've got a story. If he does sign his nomination papers, you've got a story. Brian Jean will win that seat. Make no mistake. He will win that seat in a landslide. Unless, of course, Kenny's cooking up a candidate that could run against him and beat him. I don't know who that would be. Jean's got real popular. Not everybody loves him in Fort McMurray, but he I would say he's one of the more popular politicians in Alberta, especially up there. I mean, Brian's experienced personal tragedy. Uh, They lost their home. They lost their home twice, lost their home to wildfire. He lost his son to illness. I mean, and and, and people turned out in droves across the partisan boundaries to show support to Brian Jean within conservative circles. I think his popularity has probably risen as some people have have said, hey, what might the UCP look like if Brian Jean was leading it as opposed to Jason Kenney? Other people have said Jean ran against Rachel Notley before and got smoked. Now, a fair assessment of that would also include the point that he was not the leader of a united conservative party. He was the leader of the Wild Rose. 
Some people will wonder if Brian Jean can be the leader of a party that's supposed to be big tent. Can he appeal to moderate or so-called progressive conservatives? Remains to be seen. Where are you at, Sam? I, like, I guess the giggling was mostly just the, yeah, Brian Jean's back. He's stirring the pot again. Because you're right. There is a strange road that he has to go down if he wants to be the UCP nominee. Because at some point in time, this is going to land on Jason Kenney's desk. Yep. Um, I guess I would also throw it back at you. It's like, yeah, maybe Kenny's got some star candidate cooked up. Do you think he could win as an independent? And, and like straight up, because he is personally so popular in that area. Like, do you think he's a viable challenger if he has to go alone? But I don't think Brian Jean wants to. I mean, and I can't speak for Brian Jean and I'm not speaking for Brian Jean, but I don't imagine that his vision involves sitting as an independent MLA buried in the back of the legislature with no. an office in the annex right next to the broom closet, you know, with his fingers crossed that he can get a private member's bill. And like, that's not what Brian Jean's looking to do. He's looking to come in. I mean, he's looking to be LeBron going back to Cleveland to win a title, Hoyles. I knew you'd appreciate like, that. Yeah, he's looking that, to take over the is that, is that is that a fair... I mean, I know I'm always using hockey metaphors to you, and you want me to, you, you want me to try to bring it to the hard court, so I did. What do you make of this? First off, not a fan of LeBron. That's fine. <laughs> I got to get that in there. What don't you like about the king? Ugh. How do you not like LeBron James? Okay. You, you want to get into like this? Like 10 seconds. Okay, when you look at uh, Kawhi Leonard, okay, and you see how cool, calm, collected he is, yeah. he's he's no ego on that guy. Oh, geez, Kawhi Leonard sits out like forty games a year to rest. Listen, no ego. That is load management. Sorry, the ten seconds is up, <laughs> Brian Jean. What do you think? Uh, you think you think that Brian Jean is going to lead the United Conservatives into the next provincial election? I mean, that's ultimately what we're asking. Here. A lot has to happen before that. So time-wise, I don't know that there's enough runway for that to actually happen. I think there is. Hmm. There's a lot. I think there is. I think there, you still have like a year and a half. Yeah, but you have to get there. And Kenny has shown no appetite and no willingness you know, to have a conversation. It's his way or the highway. Yeah, but it, at some point, like at some point, the emperor has no clothes. Right. At some point, it's it's like when when you don't have the support of the party anymore, when you don't have support of caucus anymore, at some point, it doesn't matter if you nail a two by four across the door to the premier's office and say you're not coming out. You know, Devin Dreeshan brings in a cooler, a cold ones, and you guys just lock down for a while. Uh, at some point, that becomes irrelevant. I mean, just ask Allison Redford. Right. I mean, you can be ask Ralph Klein for that matter. Mm. May he rest in peace. I mean, you, you, you can you can run your leadership into the ground. It's the leader is never more powerful than the party. I mean, sometimes the leader is more powerful than the party, uh, but it's very rare. I mean, ask Annamie Paul, for example. I mean, yeah. parties are more powerful than leaders. So I, I'll be curious to see. I want to see yeah. what real talkers think on this. I mean, you know, uh, James says calling I don't want to take pot low blows here but I mean this is the first comment I saw James says calling Brian Jean more empathetic than Jason Kenny is an extremely low bar um, that's fair uh, I listen uh, not everybody might love Brian Jean's politics or what have you I can say I've had 15 conversations with Brian Jean I actually quite like Brian Jean uh, he's a he's a he can be a likable guy. He's a bit of a he's not as much of like a smooth. He's not. I'm talking like delivery and style. OK, I'm not talking politics. These two names I'm going to mention are going to trigger some conservatives. 
but he's not like a Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama. They walk in there and they're just smooth, right? He's not Monsieur Blanchette, who we're going to hear from later. He's not he's not like that, but he can politic. And I think that the conservatives right now need a leader, a credible leader that people can look to and say, this convinces me enough that the United Conservative Party does not equal Jason Kenney anymore with enough time to have that resonate in an election. You know, uh, there's some speculation. People think, well, Jason Kenney might just force an election right now and just go out and light the house on fire. Right. Pack his bags, light the house on fire and walk out. We know what would happen if he called an election right now. They would lose. Now, I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think that his ego would allow him to lose an election to Rachel Notley to prove something to other people. Although you never know. Keith says, you know who you need to talk about, Jespo, is Barry Morishita, the new leader of the Alberta Party. Well, guess what, Keith? We're going to be talking to Mr. Morishita, former mayor of Brooks, former president of the AUMA, tomorrow on Real Talk. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. And I'm going to throw fastballs at him. I know everybody expects. Let me do. Here's some real. T- is Negan with us? I don't want to leave Negan sitting here. We're ready he's, to rock. He's getting himself okay, set up. Getting yeah. set up. Okay, good. So I but people people expect softballs from me when we're talking about the Alberta party because of some rumors that circulated nothing to do with me. I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe two or three years ago that I was going to be seeking the leadership of the Alberta party. And it was in the Globe and Mail and Don Braid reported on it. And then all of a sudden I was getting all these interview requests and I did not leak that information that had nothing to do with me. Now, had there been conversations? Uh-huh. Was there a team assembled without my doing? Yes, I was presented with an opportunity and a vehicle to seek the leadership of the Alberta party. And I decided not to. And because of that rumor and because of those conversations ever since people have suggested that i've not been willing to take shots at the alberta party in the same way that i have with the united conservatives the pcs the wild rose or the ndp barry and i are going to have a good chat tomorrow and i will let everybody know that i think the big questions that need to be asked are How can you convince Albertans that this party is relevant anymore? That sounds like a mean question anymore. It sounds like, hey, the Alberta party got one hundred and seventy two thousand votes in twenty nineteen. That was not a joke. The conservatives cracked a million, about a million and fifty thousand. I apologize. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think that the NDP had about six hundred fifty thousand, six hundred forty thousand, something like that ish approximately. And and then the Alberta party had one hundred seventy two thousand votes. That's not a joke. Like they had they had almost one in five votes to stack up against the conservatives. Zero seats. They got stonewalled on seats. Kind of sucked for them. They lost Calgary Elbow, which had been a big riding for them. They didn't have, you know, any MLA's return, which was tough. But Uh, if you're you're talking about seats like and, you know, they had the big impact. Then talk about the PPC. Well, exactly. I mean, you can talk about this with any with any political party. Why do you think so many conservatives are so pissed at Justin Trudeau for for not delivering on his promise of electoral reform? Why do you know? I mean, why do conservatives care about the fact that, you know, Andrew Scheer won the popular vote? We use American terms sometimes. He won the popular vote in 2019, but didn't win government because he won a whole bunch of seats where he didn't need them in the prairies. And he didn't sort of run up the scoreboard where he needed to in Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal and and the the GTO. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, the same deal with the Alberta party, like who cares about 172,000 votes if you don't have any seats? 
uh, and that's been really difficult for them. But Barry Morshita is not. I know he knows what he's getting into, and he knows we're going to have some real talk tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, we can also promote our our, our uh, COP26 Real Talk Roundtable that's coming up tomorrow. Very much looking forward to that, including Mark Linus, uh, who is either at or has been at COP26. He's at. He's in Glasgow right he now. Is there? Is he hitting from Glasgow with us tomorrow? He will be. Yeah. Love it, Hoyles. And then Amy Westervelt, uh, co-host of the Climate Podcast, Hot Take. Amy, an investigative journalist. I would say of all of the uh, potential guests, or because or, we have our working list, it'll be fun for us every once in a while to publish a working list. So the, maybe to our Patreon subscribers, they could see like, hey, here's who we're trying to get. We always make the big announcements. We're not yet ready to announce who's coming up on November 23rd, our first anniversary show. But there are a couple bing, bang, boom type guests, type bookings coming up on November 23rd. But Amy Westervelt's been on our working list for a long time, and I would say one of the more nominated guests from Real Talkers. Wouldn't you agree? Holy moly. On Twitter, on email, we are constantly... I'm getting so many emails. Can you... What about Amy? So so yeah. that ask about Amy. Yeah. So is Amy coming on? Yet? Yeah. yeah. Amy is tomorrow, folks. Yeah. Loving it. That's going to be a great Real Talk Roundtable. You can catch that live at 11 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Mountain ish right here on Real Talk. Before we get to Negan Sinclair, very much looking forward to catching up with him. Of course, you know him, columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press, associate professor at the University of Manitoba. I want to remind you that we are so very proud to be partnering with Jet Set Parking. If you're going to be getting out of town, if you happen to be flying out of Edmonton International Airport, out of EIA, there's some news to report. Jet Set Self Park is back. That's right. It means that Jet Set is moving to its original location. If you haven't been out to the airport in a while, don't concern yourself with this. The only detail that matters is that the promo code REALTALK at JetSetParking.com that used to get you parking for a ridiculously low $8 a day is now down to $5 a day. Shout it from the rooftops. Tweet it from your accounts. Tell your friends and neighbors that the promo code REALTALK at JetSetParking.com will get you $5 per day parking at Edmonton International Airport. This is for all travel until the end of 2022. In other words, you still have 13 months covered with this promotional deal. If you book now, make sure you book at least 24 hours in advance or you'll be like me, sitting on your phone, outside Jet Set Parking, trying to book in and paying full price. True story. Our friends, I was like, I, I sent them an email to Jet Set and I was like, how bad is it that the guy that does the ads and uses his own promo code ends up paying full price? They're like, well, you should have been more, you should have read our notes. You should have been, and I went back and I looked at the notes and, and I said, point taken. Our friends at Jet Set, amazing, amazing. They're local, you'll love working with them. Same deal with our friends at Friesen Brothers. I mean, I mean, obviously an iconic brand in the province of Alberta, 16 locations. Did you know that they are still family owned? Amazing stuff. The first day of every month, I'm going to hammer this home. The first day of every month at Friesen Brothers across Alberta, it's 15% off purchases of $75 and over from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. They've got their blazing savings deals on right now. They end today. So if you're listening to this today, you can check out Friesen.com or go see them in person. Friesen Brothers, proudly Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Well, a lot has happened 
since we last checked in with Negan Sinclair, uh, an Anishinaabe writer, you know, a columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press. No doubt you've read his work and an associate professor at the University of Manitoba. September 15th, we chatted. Of course, that was before the federal election. We wanted to talk about issues that mattered. We've seen a cabinet named since then. The U.N. Climate Change Conference is underway and so much more. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show Negan Sinclair. Thanks for making time for us and a good morning to you. September feels like ancient history, <laughs> right? I know. I was thinking September 15th. Gosh, there's a lot that's happened since then. How have you been? I'm on strike at the moment, so I'm just coming off the picket line here at the University of Manitoba. Uh, so uh, we've been striking for all week. We started on well, actually it's quite Tuesday, actually, and uh, we've just presented an offer to university administ- uh, university administration for a very fair offer. But this strikes turned really ugly very quickly. Uh, I was on strike in 2016. It took a few weeks to get this ugly. It was ugly right out of the gate because of the. Uh, wage freeze that's been imposed by the Conservative government and then going back to 2016 where the Conservative government told the administrators to lie to us for three weeks, put us on strike unnecessarily and uh, in the end we just took a zero percent increase for pay so I mean the whole thing has just been a very ugly thing since uh, 2016 people are I, I think that some people that are gonna be tuning in across the prairie provinces are gonna go I thought it was I thought Alberta had cornered the market on labor unrest and looming strikes but 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 I guess that's not the case what, what's the reality right now when it comes to the bigger picture of funding for post-secondaries like we've had a tuition freeze lifted here we've seen cuts to major universities uh, people at the U of A are saying that there's already proof how devastating they've been. What's the bigger picture in Manitoba right now? Uh, well, everything's just in the wake of the resignation of Brian Pallister. And so uh, Heather Stephenson was just voted in uh, last week, rather controversial. Yeah. Uh, there's a court case happening with Shelley Glover, who's challenging her at the moment uh, here in Manitoba. So uh, there's some, been some question of whether she's the legitimate leader or not. However, she did get 51% of the ballot. However, uh, Shelley Glover is uh, uh, talking about how the vote was rigged and all those other things that are going on. So the Conservative Party is quite split at the moment. Uh, but uh, generally, the in the wake of Brian Pallister, uh, people are seeing a potential of change where it has been just a real draconian one-man show over here. And now that Heather Stephenson, a uh, long-time uh, health minister, who in many ways has been accused of bungling the pandemic, but of course in Manitoba, bungling I think is a different definition than it would look like in Alberta and Saskatchewan, where yeah. it was really badly handled. Uh, in Manitoba, we were at one point the highest cases of the world percentage-wise, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's all relative during a pandemic, I suppose. But yeah. now in the wake of Brian Pallister's resignation, which, by the way, he was removed due to his racist comments, his incorrect and factually incorrect comments on Indigenous peoples. That's remarkable. We should actually talk about that for just a moment. But but the uh, the fact is, you know, Brian Pallister's resignation is just domino effect throughout the province. And this is one of them. Yeah, well, let's get into it, because with Brian, I mean, Brian Pallister was was quite adamant for quite some time that he wasn't going anywhere. And then all of a sudden it was just gone. And I know that we've had a couple of guests on this show uh, that, that had basically said it was it was only a matter of time. Uh, what do you think? I mean, when you talk about what ultimately led to him walking away, uh, certainly not on his own terms, but I guess a resignation is more palatable for some people. What do you think got it to that point? And, and, and what jumped out to you as most remarkable about it? 
Well, it was fairly well known that he wasn't going to seek another mandate. So there was just a question of when he was going to resign as leader. He had lost faith of the party. There was a collective letter circulating during his last comments where he said that everyone came to Canada with good intentions. And so, and then, you know, the, the massive, I mean, you can't say that in a population where 20% of the people are indigenous. So uh, the conservative party pushed his, their own leader out. And the most interesting thing about that is that uh, it tells you that the conservative party sees the indigenous electorate here in Manitoba as actually having some clout because the NDP, which had been in the wilderness, but since the days of Greg Selinger headed up by an indigenous person, Wab Canoe, well-known, uh, you know, former broadcaster, celebrity sort of thing. Um, Wab Canoe has been just lagging in the polls 15, 20 points behind and has roared back due to the issues of the pandemic. But what's really uh, put him over the edge, which they were tied for a long period, was Brian Pallister's just ongoing racism involving Indigenous peoples. He said things like, I'm fearful to go downtown talking specifically about Indigenous peoples. Never named them, but clearly he was talking about who he was, who, who he was talking about. And then, you know, top of that said really incorrect incorrect things around residential schools appointed minister who said a bunch of terrible things about residential schools um, and then on top of that said that those who uh, came to this country to came to build things is his exact quote not came to destroy them which is just factually incorrect and so at the end of the day the conservative party wrote a collective letter there were over two dozen ministers uh, and mp mlas that had signed that letter and uh, he saw the writing on the wall and he left a little bit earlier, I'd say about six months earlier than perhaps he had planned. Uh, and that just has created a, a, a cacophony of support amongst Indigenous peoples, not just on the left. It's always kind of been there on the left, but it's now on the right as well. And that's interesting. I, I have these uh, impressions. I, I always try to go back to, to sort of provide some context of, of what I perceived as a young man growing up in South Calgary, Southern Alberta through the 1980s and the 1990s. I mean, like, you know, names like at that time, Preston Manning and Stephen Harper and Tom Flanagan and Rod Love and Ralph Klein. And, and the list goes on. Jim Dinning and all, like all of these guys, um, they it, it was sort of like that formed our perspective on politics. My understanding as a child uh, on politics in, in Western Canada, but but I always saw as an Albertan the PC brand to be to be sort of like the monarchy, you know, to be very safe. And it was obvious and elections were boring, but I always understood. And again, childlike understanding into the teenage years, B.C., Saskatchewan and Manitoba as the provinces that curiously could swing from either conservative or, or to NDP governments. And, and we would see evidence of that through the election with regards to Wab Canoe and, and, and the NDP in Manitoba, the, the, the conservatives, whether they're languishing or not, whether it's their own fault or not, that they have two people claiming two women claiming to, to be premier of Manitoba right now. How would you characterize the, the political climate in Manitoba? And, and what do you think might happen if there were to be an election called, you know, in, in the next two, three, six months? Uh, the NDP would undoubtedly win. Really? And the, it's because uh, that I don't know if it would be a majority. I think it might be a minority uh, because the liberals can't be tossed under the under the um, 
I think the liberals have become a viable uh, option for many people because, frankly, they're very sick of the NDP. And uh, the NDP really, frankly, is more closer to the federal liberals than any other party uh, across, than the federal NDP, even though they they tend to, uh, you know, roll out the red carpet for Jagmeet Singh when they come to when he comes to Manitoba. But, you know, the fact is that the the uh, the NDP party is uh, more centrist than it is left wing here in Manitoba, which has really resulted in the Liberal Party being kind of out in the wilderness and not having any support. But but the uh, Dougal Lamont, who is the Liberal Party leader here in Manitoba, has done a fairly decent, stable job so that, you know, it's a it's a, you know, 10 to 15 percent support amongst Manitobans. So, I mean, that's capable of, of holding a couple seats. They're, they have a handful of seats. And so uh, right now, I think the NDP could be in a minority position. Um, right now, if, we're, if the election was held today, it would be a majority. Um, but uh, I think that the there is a stalwart support in the rural areas of Manitoba, which is approximately a good, you know, just uh, probably a third of the seats. And so... The, the, the battleground is in Winnipeg, and right now the NDP undoubtedly has Winnipeg due to the issues of the closure of ERs by Brian Pallister, the mishandling of the pandemic, and then, as I mentioned before, this cacophony of uh, real problems. In fact, when Heather Stephenson came out to announce uh, when she was sworn in, when her first speech, the very first thing she said is that we need to rebuild our relationships with Indigenous peoples. That's remarkable. I don't think that that's happened in any conservative leadership speech in Canadian history. Uh, most times the Conservative Party is seen as uh, oftentimes at odds with Indigenous communities. And so uh, to see Indigenous leaders endorsing Heather Stephenson, to see Indigenous peoples uh, being talked about in the first speech, that's a sign that Manitoba is kind of a um, as I've always said, at the forefront of reconciliation, when even the right wing parties are talking about it and trying to engage and put it in their major, major party platforms. I mean, you certainly would never hear uh, Aaron O'Toole, Stephen Harper. Imagine Brian Mulroney saying something like that. Hmm. Uh, you and I never had a chance to talk about it. It was a remarkable development. I think it kind of a little bit flew under the I mean, it didn't it was reported across Canada. But that I mean, if you're Nikki Ashton's uh, campaign manager or uh, I mean, what what a disastrous scenario for her. They had indigenous leaders show up to a not a campaign launch, but a campaign event. And then they endorsed the liberal candidate running against her at the podium at the event. I thought that was is, is it fair to use the word shocking? I mean, what did you mean? That was pre-election, obviously. But what did you make of that? And then Nikki Ashton went out and won. Yeah. Rather handily, in yeah. fact, without even a question. Had an Indigenous candidate. Here's the funny thing is I actually don't remember the name of the Indigenous candidate running against her because anyone ever talk about is Nikki Ashton. And and it's not, of course, that that person didn't do Shirley Robinson. I think Shirley Robinson is her name. And, uh, you know, it's not that that person didn't run a good campaign. It's just that the Ashtons are a machine in the North and uh, longtime NDP MLA, Steve Ashton ran for the leadership against Wab Canoe. And um, you know, the Ashton family is just a stalwart in Thompson and they have a machine running up there and you don't have to get a lot of support. I mean, the fact is all the cards were set for Nikki Ashton to lose this time. There were people in hotels in downtown Winnipeg languishing. No one was advocating for them, particularly not Nikki Ashton. Nikki Ashton went to Greece during the middle of the pandemic to go visit, yes, a, a sick family friend and, and, you know, just skipped out on many of the, the, the things that, you know, people were sitting at home in quarantine uh, and not forced not to travel. And she went off to Greece. And, you know, there's just all these reasons for Nikki Ashton to lose, but she just keeps winning. 
Uh, it, it was, you're right, by the way, uh, Shirley Robinson and uh, the writing there, uh, Churchill Kiwatnuk Aski, uh, if people want to Google that and read up more about that race. Uh, you know, I love talking to Negan is because we haven't even got to the things we asked you to come on and talk about. And we're already having a great conversation. But why don't we get into it? We want to talk about representation and we want to talk about indigenous voices. And obviously, COP26, uh, the U.N. Climate Change Conference would be a pretty opportune time uh, for those voices to be heard. When we take a look at populations and regions around the world that are impacted by climate change, certainly uh, First Nations in Canada and indigenous uh, groups and, and communities around the world can relate. We heard from the PM of Barbados, uh, Mia Motley, earlier today talking about it a little bit. But what observations do you have about who's being heard, initiatives that are being adopted and undertaken and commitments that are being made at COP26? Well, I think everyone's uh, aware that the United Nations Declaration is making its way across the world. But uh, Canada, of course, Bill C-15 coming uh, to the implementation bill. Uh, The issue is that I don't think anyone knows how it plays out. Uh, The only country that really has a sense of what the indigenous indigenous rights are, let's just call it indigenous rights instead of the declaration, but they... uh, The only people that really have an understanding of what that looks like is New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand has uh, indigenous seats in parliament, um, therefore indigenous inclusion, not indigenous peoples representing Canadian or, you know, federal parties or so on. Um, It uh, it has rights for certain areas that uh, uh, are nature areas in in New Zealand. Uh, Waterways have rights, meaning that there must be indigenous peoples who speak on behalf of that waterway. Um, there is indigenous rights being placed within language legislation, within uh, legal child welfare legislation. So, you know, if we look at New Zealand, we might see what Canada would look like in 15 to 20 years if we implemented Bill C-15. If it was implemented in such a way that didn't have the Indian Act in its way. So the problem, of course, is that I think federal leaders don't understand that indigenous rights are really the only thing standing in the way of what will be a climate disaster because it is indigenous rights that are the only things. It's not Greenpeace. It's not it's not environmental activism. It's not Greta Thunberg. It will be indigenous rights that will save this world because it it is indigenous peoples who are the only peoples who are having legal abilities to stop major projects that neglect or undermine or just simply ignore uh, uh, environmental disasters, you know, mines, pipelines and so on. So that has not been talked about at all. And but I think it's because we are we have a world full of leaders who are absolutely 100 percent incapable of. Uh, talking about Indigenous peoples in just ways, uh, equal ways. Like, for instance, the whole reason that there's no Indigenous peoples in this delegation or Indigenous peoples other than Dan Vandell from Manitoba in the cabinet for Justin Trudeau is simply because uh, we, you know, we can just say Jody Wilson-Raybould. We can say the issues involving the uh, the ongoing of situations of Wet'suwet'en, the fact that uh, Justin Trudeau's bought a pipeline. You know, like these ongoing f- uh, conflicts. Justin Trudeau doesn't want to step into the Indigenous issues just yet. He certainly doesn't want Indigenous peoples to take attention from what he wants to be his prime ministerial uh, space in the world leaders. Like he wants this to be the Justin Trudeau sto- show this time around. The problem is, is that the climate crisis is uh, getting us to run out of time. Uh, 
Uh, Nikon, I'm sure you're keeping an eye on the, the Ferry Creek blockades. We've been hitting this from a number of different angles. Talked to journalist Brandy Morin about it. We talked to a spokesperson from the logging company yesterday. Eric Denhoff joined us, former uh, deputy minister and treaty negotiator. What are, what are your thoughts, generally speaking, on what's going on in Ferry Creek? To me, like at a very, very high level, like speaking very generally, um, there seems to be some debate uh, around uh, and we do have interview requests in with indigenous leaders in that area. It's important to, to note that uh, there seems to be some debate over who is protesting and in whose interests and who is speaking for whom right now. Uh, some people insisting that the local First Nations are quite keen on seeing some of that logging continue out of the protected areas. Others are saying that it's time to stop old growth and second growth logging for good in that part of Vancouver Island. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the it's as usual a situation that gets very ugly when uh, when negotiations break down and the police are involved. The police are not negotiators, nor are the police capable of understanding uh, indigenous rights. Uh, and how, so what the police come in with is always make it worse. And let's just let's just make that a general understanding that whenever the police or the army get involved on anything involving indigenous peoples, it's not going to go well. And we can go all the way back to Oka. We can go all the way back to uh, Dudley George being shot in Ipawash. You know, like the fact is that uh, Indigenous people should not have to deal with the police when it comes to these issues. And so the challenge is, of course, is that Indigenous peoples don't have any option when the federal government has already made the decision. And that's the problem in the first place. It goes all the way back to the initial decisions on uh, economic development. In this case, old growth cuts uh, forestry in BC um, has led to a situation where you've got a split leadership. You've got Indian Act leadership and you've got traditional leadership, much like the Wet'suwet'en situation where you have traditional leaders who are telling peoples the Indian Act chiefs don't represent you. Uh, and then it fires up the people so that they go to the uh, the injunction or sorry, they go to the, uh, the protest site. There's an injunction put into place with the support of the Indian Act leadership, some, maybe all, and then federal governments who say, well, we've already made this decision in the first place. How much are we going to pay you? That's what we'll call consultation. And so this this is a situation born time and time and time. It's the exact same playbook. We can see it every single time, and it's played out the exact same way. But the fundamental problem is that we, when we don't include Indigenous peoples in government, uh, which is what the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People recommended over three decades or almost three decades ago, 1996, um, what what the Royal Commission said was that we should have an Indigenous Parliament. We should have an Indigenous body in government that then is involved in the decision making over major issues like environmental stewardship, like the issues of how do we proceed in resource development and would work with ministers at the front end. So that when these decisions are presented by corporations and they need government uh, um, certification or support, um, Indigenous peoples would be at the table then. And then that would mean that leadership, and that would be chosen by Indigenous peoples themselves within that parliament. It wouldn't be Indian Act chiefs. It would be Indigenous peoples would decide how who's going to represent them, send that. And then really uh, the issue of grassroots activism would be much less uh, tinder, you know, what's it called, sparked. It would, it, there would be less spark because you would have uh, traditional leadership who would say, well, that's our leader. We've, our leader's already signed off on that. They have somebody to report to, somebody to hold accountable. Um, 
Negan, gosh, I mean, I, I want to talk to you about a thousand things, and then we keep getting new subject matter brought up in very worthy focus. I mean, for example, Jillian's uh, tuned in live right now. She says, you know, Aaron O'Toole's showing his true colors again regarding First Nations calling for the flags to be raised on Parliament Hill. Aaron O'Toole wanted the flags raised on September 30th on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Now he's doubling down. He wants them raised for Remembrance Week as well. Of course, Remembrance Day coming up on November 11th. Uh, let me say just just. Uh, well, I don't want to say to state the obvious, but at at some point, the flags will go back up. Uh, now, it's a very obviously delicate situation. Uh, we have not achieved reconciliation in Canada, to say the very least. What's your take on when is appropriate to raise the flags again? Yeah, there was a really, really good, well-balanced piece. I felt the I think it was a CBC piece and, and there was also another piece in the Globe and Mail. Um the flags have been half at half mass since May, yeah. and uh, rightfully so. I mean, the issue of unmarked graves, but there are now 6,000 unmarked graves that have been uncovered in various locations uh, from across Canada and then a few in the United States as well. So uh, there's a, you know, an ongoing epidemic of forgetting in this country. And what I mean by that is uh, erasing, uh, overlooking, uh, you know, neglecting, sometimes just plain old racism. And uh, not in every case, but in the case of unmarked graves, it's simply just treating people like they aren't human beings, saying they don't matter, uh, we don't need to worry about headstones for these children, and so on. And, and then it also raised the issue of the violence in residential schools. So there's been a number of triggers through this issue. And I think the flags being uh, put at half mast is a right thing. The I have, you know, my grandfather, who was also a residential school survivor, was also a veteran, uh, was on the ground with the Toronto Scottish in France on the front lines, watched 80 uh, percent of his battalion to be murdered right in front of his very eyes, was shot himself, sent to England um, and then went back into battle. That was the crazy thing is, you know, wow. most people would have went back back home, but he was he's disabled, but he went back into battle because he loved his buddies so much. I should get a bit emotional because. I mean, that's what my grandfather believed in. He believed in relationships. And, you know, like that's called treaty. You know, that's what Indigenous peoples did is they believed in their fellow Canadians, people who are they were in the battalions in the in the trenches with. And so uh, I think we should honor that in some way. I think Indigenous peoples, if you look at powwows, for example, we always do the first push up of a powwow. That's what we call a verse in our powwow songs is a push up. Um, our first push up is always for the veterans. We do the spirit. Then we do the veterans and then we then we dance out. So veterans are extremely important to indigenous peoples or what we call the Ogichita in my language, which are the, 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 the peacemakers, the love, the, the people with the biggest hearts. That's what that word means. And so uh, I think indigenous peoples would understand. I think indigenous peoples would work with uh, a government if they were invited to a conversation on how do we appropriately do a ceremony to both drop, uh, you know, to raise the flag, then also drop it again for veterans. And we could also include children as well, because the fact is that those children, those little those little children who are fighting to keep their language, fighting against enormous oppression and racism. And, you know, every day, the fact that they had to, you know, fighting to love their parents in, in a situation where they'd only see them one week a year, they were warriors as well. Oh, man. Fighting to love their parents. 
away with words, man. And uh, I just love the way you communicate. I want to I want to ask you. Uh, we have to ask about this APTN report about voter suppression. I have to ask you about Dr. Kerry Burasad uh, at University of Saskatchewan. Um, but but let me ask you before we move on from federal politics, uh, just with regards to the naming of the cabinet, Patty Haidu moved from one very prominent ministry, certainly Minister of Health, uh, formerly to Minister of Indigenous Services Canada. Uh, what do you make of the prime minister's decision on this file that's obviously extremely important uh, through this parliament? Yeah, the story here isn't so much uh, Minister Haidu, although that that's a good promotion or in term, that's a difficult file. Yeah, um, It's a file you're not going to get a lot of credit for. It's a file that Mark Miller uh, did a rather adequate job. And, and it, the story really is about Carolyn Bennett being pushed out. That's the story there. And the story that Carolyn Bennett now uh, is gone to, I can't even remember the ministry that she's gone to, but the fact that she isn't going to be the Minister of Indigenous Crown Relations, a post that she had worked a decade for had done uh, a rather disastrous job. And then we think of the tweets with Jody Wilson-Raybould probably being the last straw and then uh, being sent off to, you know, relative past year. It's still in the cabinet, of course, but, you know, the fact that, that Minister Bennett spent a whole decade and a half working on a file and then uh, was just unceremoniously put to the side that Mark Miller, because Mark Miller has really gained a lot of traction. Mark Miller is, I have a lot of time for Mark Miller. Mark Miller's trying very hard. And the real issue here is the issue of compensating Indigenous children due to the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal. Um, I, I happen to know that that negotiations are going very well at the moment. So, so there's a lot of hope there. And I think that if Minister Miller is able to shepherd that, and Minister Haidu, who's um, will be the one in that. That's actually where her jurisdiction lies, is in that issue of compensating children. Um, whether the rectification or the changes that are necessary to make sure that the Canada isn't found guilty time and time and time again to discriminating against First Nations children on reserve and their families, this is going to be a multi-billion dollar settlement. And uh, the challenge will be is how will the changes that come out of this happen? And it will be Minister Haidu. So clearly there's a there's a number of faith for for that minister to going forward. Uh, let me ask you about this story. I know APTN's reporting it. And obviously, everybody's uh, paying attention to it. Uh, the I mean, the details imply that Elections Canada uh, is both investigating and potentially responsible for voter suppression in First Nations communities, in particular in Northern Ontario, where polling stations simply were not provided uh, in Cat Lake, in Poplar Hill and Pekangicum. Uh, pardon me if I've mispronounced it. Pekangicum, uh, not provided on Election Day. How surprised are you by this? Pekangicum. Pekangicum, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, not provided polling stations. What the hell? If that happened in St. Albert, Alberta, if that if that happened in Oakville, Ontario, that'd be trending. Yeah. So I was in Toronto for on the CBC Federal Night Election team. Uh, we were doing the radio side. And there, of course, there was the TV side of the side of the building. Nice job, um, by the way. We were hearing about the, the, the issues around uh, long lines, the issue of frequent places that had been in the past schools, particularly uh, that had been used for. Uh, you know, for people, for people to vote, for polling places, or for um, for people to be able to register to vote, even. And, and the fact is that there was uh, massive changes that people were not ready for, communities were not ready for. And if you think of the places with the least amount of infrastructure, that's First Nations. First Nations don't have the ability. In fact, in many communities, there's only two or three buildings that could be used for an election, and two of them were eliminated.
terminated because they weren't allowed to use schools due to COVID-19 uh, restrictions. So um, on one level, yes, there was voter suppression. Those are big words to use. On another level, it's just the same old uh, problems with the infrastructure on First Nations that we know throughout situations like, think of all the things you saw in Attawapiskut, and you'll know what I mean. Um, moldy houses, uh, tainted water, the fact that there's no decent uh, meeting spaces for much of the chief and council in those bills, because we had a chronic underfunding. That's what all of these issues are. Um, you know, the all of the issues are recently like we, we saw Jean Chrétien just come out of nowhere recently and talk about his wonderful track record for First Nations. But it's Jean Chrétien that is to blame for much of the emergency situations. Stephen Harper made it exponentially worse by cutting funding, cutting funding, cutting funding. But it was Jean Chrétien who imposed what's called the 2% cap on First Nations so that there would be no in improvements to local infrastructure. So the problem in the last federal election is there was no spaces adequate. And so in some cases that was just overlooked by federal uh, electors. And so they must be held to account. But in many other situations, it's just, just no buildings available. Uh, people have, that I talk to anyway have been, uh, and I'm talking conservatives, liberals, whomever, have been totally gobsmacked and quite frankly appalled at Jean Chrétien's recent comments uh, about the, the fact that the atrocities of resident, residential schools were not even on his radar in the 1960s and 70s when he was in charge of that portfolio. I mean, what do you the, the guy now into his mid to late 80s? Uh, I'm not sure what the hell is going on with Jean Chrétien, but what do you make of his recent comments? What I came out and said, and uh, and I'll say it again, is welcome to Indigenous life. This is what it's like uh -huh. to deal with uh, someone who can get to the highest office in this country and be absolutely 1%, 100% incapable of dealing with issues involving Indigenous peoples. Ignorant. Uh, doesn't listen because uh, Charlie Angus came out and said, here's a letter that was written to you as a minister about the atrocities at St. Anne's. Uh, and then on top of that, just continue to hold on to that ignorance to perpetrate it, not say like, oh, uh, maybe I didn't know so much back then, but I certainly know a lot now. And I and I empathize and I recognize the pain that residential school survivors. I listened to the TRC. Nope, none of that. He was like, um, I don't think it was that bad. Um, I went to boarding school in Quebec and, uh, and, you know, I had a hard time too. I was a little bit lonely. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, he's like one, one morning they even just gave us porridge and it was like, that's not well, a valid comparison. Actually indigenous children uh, would get porridge from the week before. Yeah. Uh, with mold on top of it. But anyways, that being said, uh, welcome to indigenous life. This is what it's like to deal with, a person who can be at the highest office of the country. And frankly, I don't really care if it's Stephen Harper, who we all know said things like there was no such colonialism in Canada and so on, or, you know, Canada never had a history of colonialism. So like, you know, let's not give passes to parties here, but what we can do is we can say, welcome to what it's like to be an indigenous person in a country in which the person who's at the highest office can be the most ignorant and can perpetrate that ignorance and hold on to it with their cold, old hands. I didn't say dead hands, but old hands right to the very end of your life. That that crazy ignorance that it will never listen to reason. Um, and, you know, I say that lovingly to many of my relatives who I think, you know, I, I work with seniors all the time. I'm, one of the things I'm most often invited to do is to speak to seniors groups before the pandemic, of course. Um, and I've, I know many seniors who are working very hard to to deal with their own ignorance and the fact they were never taught these things. Jean-Claude Chen is clearly not in that group. 
Negan, uh, so grateful for your time. Before we wrap, I want to ask you about this story that certainly Canadians are ta- are talking about. Uh, you know, I mean, it, the the concept around indigenous identity fraud. And uh, people might look stateside and, and remember, you know, Elizabeth Warren and some of the controversy there that, that Donald Trump really latched on to. But this story of Dr. Carrie Barassa uh, out of the university uh, in Saskatchewan, University of Saskatchewan on leave uh, after her indigenous identity has been questioned. It's being described as bittersweet uh, by some people. Uh, I mean, she's pretty high profile researcher. I mean, one of the more foremost researchers in Canada, in particular, the scientific director of the Canadian Institute for Health Research Institute of Indigenous People's Health. This is a big story. Uh, where's your head at on this? Uh, yeah. And her salary was close to half a million dollars. She was in charge of millions and millions of dollars of allocation. So, uh, I like that you gave me a minute and a half to, uh, no, to you deal can, with this. You can, Negan, I mean, you, uh, I'm conscious of your time. You can take 40 oh. minutes if you, we can do this all oh. day. Okay. Well, I'm okay. Then I'll take the time necessary to Please explain do. this. Yeah. Okay. I assumed we were at the top of the hour. Nobody, so no, no. This is the beauty okay. of real talk. We go till we're done. Okay. All right. Okay. So here's the situation. Um, indigenous identity is about who claims you, not who you claim. And that's as simple as it is. So uh, in the case of Carrie Barassa, it's been found, uh, and there still is what she claims to be a genealogist, uh, a company that's helping her out to investigate her own roots. So this is not, this is said, uh, I suppose I would use the word either alleged or, but certainly if you talk to Indigenous peoples, this is the case. Uh, She has no blood. She has no connections. The connections that she had said that she had were not true and were found to be not true through a multi-month investigation. And this is the main problem for us in the media. You know, Um, I'm called like I'm called all the time about people who are so-called pretendians or fakes, people who are falsifying their indigenous identity. It is so difficult to prove it. It takes it month, takes months and months and months and months. If we think about the investigation on Joseph Boyden, that was a bit easier because he was a public figure, but that still took about a year. Um, and the fact that people had been whispering about that for years and years and years and years. So, or the issue of Michelle Latimer, who is the well-known filmmaker uh, in Toronto, in this case, uh, uh, Carrie Barassa was found to be falsifying her claims, uh, had been going throughout the country saying things that she had this traumatic upbringing. And um, she actually shamed many other Indigenous peoples, including a student that came out recently on social media to say, I had been shamed by my story saying I wasn't, my story wasn't good enough and nothing like her story. And then she also was uh, just wrapping herself. She was one of those things where you saw her and you were like, why are you so much like wearing it on the outside? Why are you so trying so hard to show everybody that you're indigenous? And so in the indigenous community, people would ask questions all the time. And that's what they do anyways. They ask questions of me. They ask questions of anyone else. Who's your, who's your father? Who's your mother? Where's your community from? That kind of thing. And, and if you can't present that information clearly from the outset, like for example, my father, clearly everyone knows Senator Murray Sinclair, but we, my we've heard of him, Negan. A, yeah. We've heard of yeah, him. Yeah. My mother is a non-indigenous woman. Um, my dad's first wife. And of course I have now a lodge mother, my dad's second wife. And so, um, you know, I would say that my, my lodge mother, my, my mother who comes from Fisher River, she claims me. Um, so, so here's a, a key for people to understand. It's not about blood. There are many indigenous peoples 
who uh, have been adopted into communities, been adopted by Indigenous parents for whatever reason. Sometimes they marry into families with already pre-existing children, and those children become part of our communities. We now have laws where we have membership controls. Uh, unlike in the past where the, the federal government is the only one who determines who is Indigenous, we have ways that we determine who is Indigenous in our communities. And sometimes chief and councils have membership laws that they can adopt people. And so in all intents and purposes, those people are Indigenous because they are claimed by our community. So if anyone claimed, and I don't want to name these people because people will then go up and look them up and they've already suffered a lot from their life. life. But, you know, if you wanted me to, to identify, one of them was a, uh, a former student of mine, non-Indigenous, and had no blood, but was Ojibwe from this community that claimed him. And so therefore... Um, he, in my eyes, was Ojibwe, uh, spoke the language, did the culture, you know, all of those things. And, and he was also a full-blown member of a community, had all the rights and privileges that everybody had from a community. And so what does that tell you? That tells you that Kerry Barasa did not do the work necessary to build relationships, to have a community that, that, that claimed her. And then when it came to the time where people questioned, uh, she couldn't give the answers. Other people wouldn't speak for her. That's the issue here, is that she has falsified her relationship to communities. Nobody claims her. And in fact, her membership, which she claims to have a membership card from, is from a Métis organization, which is not recognized by uh, the Métis National Council. It's not recognized by the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan. And so it's basically a group of people like many of those in the East who are claiming Indigenous identity uh, for their own purposes, claiming it on their own basis, legitimate or not, are not recognized by other people from that cultural group. You know, it's wild. I, as we're talking here, I'm just Googling uh, Rachel Dolezal, just for the benefit of the people uh, that are watching us on YouTube, as opposed to listening on the podcast. I just wanted to show this image. And everybody, I think, remembers the story of of this NAACP leader, Rachel Dolezal, who, who uh, her family essentially outed her, uh, saying that she's been disguising herself as black for many years, which she clearly is not. You know what happened when I Googled Rachel Dolezal as you're talking? The first return on Google is... Canada's Rachel Dolezal <laughs> talking about this professor out of Saskatchewan, yeah. Carrie Barassa. Well, I mean, it's just is, how do you think you're going to pull it off? I mean, it's, it's a rhetorical question, but it's just it, it's it blows my mind. The, the main problem is this, is that uh, people who want to claim indigenous identity, black identity, is they want all of the benefits, whatever those are. And in the case of uh, Carrie Brassa, the job, the prestige, the fact that you can have some trauma, talk about that trauma, get accolades for talking about that trauma. Um, but you want none of the actual trauma. You want none of the actual racism that it, what it's like to be an indigenous person, the the what it's like to be a kid, um, to be uh, and I, this just this just happened to me recently where I, I went back to the site for the first time in 45 years, well, um, 40, I guess, 37 years. I was seven when it happened is uh, there was a there was a white kid in my school who used to beat me up all the time. And uh, he used to bully me in the bathroom. He used to choke me until I gave him his money, calling me a squaw, which, by the way, that's a that's awful term used for females. So, um, you know, it, it was this this trauma for Ra me. And racist went, and stupid, Negan. When I went, yeah, when I went back to that site, uh, I remember panicking. I had a panic attack like I did when I, I used to never go to the bathroom. And I used to, uh, frankly, I would keep it in all day. And you can imagine what happened then. And so I. Uh, 
that's what it was like to be an indigenous kid growing up in this one school in northern Manitoba and all because of this one guy. And so I was able to go back to that school finally. I'm 45 years old now and reconcile with that and think a little bit about how I feel with that. And, you know, it's still hard for me. And then you add up all the other stuff, Indian Act, land theft, racism when you're growing up being followed in a 7-Eleven, you know, like or, you know, one of my favorite things was is I'd be I was used to be a school teacher. I'd be stopped at nine o'clock in the morning. I'd be rushing like everybody else to get there before the kids get there. And here I am, 8.30 in the morning being stopped by police because I, I resemble a suspect. And so, and one of the, and honestly, that led me to cutting my hair. And this is my first time I've grown my hair back since those days. Wow. And because, because uh, I, I was sick and tired of being profiled by police and, you know, no one should have to cut their hair because they're worried about being stopped by police. And so... Uh, that's what it's like to be an Indigenous person. So many of these people who are claiming Indigenous identity want all of the things today, but they don't want any of the things that led us to who we fundamentally are, which in many cases is trauma. So it's like it's like the New Age movement. We like all of the we, we like all the dream catchers and we like all the, uh, the the smudging and stuff, but we don't actually want the oppression. Always so well said. Negan, I'm grateful for your time. Our audience is responding in kind, uh, saying the exact same stuff. Thanks for uh, the way that you make uh, issues, I think, so relevant and so understandable, oftentimes based on your personal experience, which we don't take for granted. Wishing you well and already looking forward to your next appearance on the show. Well, thanks, Ryan. You know, uh, this has already very quickly become one of my favorite stops. And and uh, when I was on the picket line this morning, I was like, I said to my picket captain, I got to go. And they're like, oh, you're not allowed to leave. And I was like, I'm leaving anyway. So, <laughs> so I left my colleagues out there in the picket line for the extra 15 minutes so that I could get here. So. Well, hey, I hope that that doesn't mean you get a worse deal at the negotiating table. <laughs> Don't bid it up. We'll I think it just means I get a bit of resentment. Yeah, <laughs> so. a bit of resentment. Thanks so much, Negan. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, me watch, man. Thanks. Yeah, you got it. That's uh, Negan Sinclair. What a beauty. Uh, you can follow Negan on Twitter, uh, Sarah, every morning from our Reels. Oh, I didn't retweet you this morning. I'm sorry. Now you can right oh, now. now. You're going to go I do can. it. I can go let people know it was on the show today. Gosh darn it. Every single morning. See, this is why you can't just follow me at Ryan Jesperson. You got to follow Real Talk at Real Talk RJ Hoyles every single day, uh, putting out the Twitter handles for our guests. Unless, of course, there's there's developments as can happen in real time. Sometimes you'll book somebody last minute and we'll get them on. But uh, that's a great way to dig a little bit deeper. And, and I know a lot of you, this is one of the, uh, the huge compliments that you can tell us on the show. A lot of people will say my Twitter follows have, have bumped up to a great degree. My Twitter experience is, is made more rich uh, because of real talk because you've got all these new people that you're following these interesting voices from across the country that you're hearing here first on real talk and we so greatly appreciate that i love that it's about who claims you not who you claim you know what it, 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 when he said that it kind of jumped out at me too it reminded me of the word ally which I know is a really big and significant. Both of you are responding. I want to sort of turn this into sharing hour. Uh, maybe not hour, but why do we? <laughs> why do we have? Why do we have a sharing time in just a minute? But first, I want to remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at at Kubi Energy. They go a long way in making sure that conversations like these are possible. As as a key partner of ours, uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Kubi Energy. That's K U B Y at Kubi Energy. Uh, their team does a great job of, of showing examples of the types of installations they're doing. Oh, and by the way, an announcement that they've they've just 
begun renovations on their newly purchased building. It's going to be their new space for Kubi Energy. It says it'll allow us to grow and innovate and allow Kubi to continue to serve clients and staff for many years to come. Congratulations to our partners at Kubi Energy. But they're also a great follow on Instagram if you're, if you're the type of person that's just curious about how solar and sustainable energy development is happening across the country. There's going to be installations that they'll post photos of that'll surprise you. I guarantee it. I keep talking about their agricultural work. That's just one example. And you know there are government programs that can help you out with the cost of some of these installs. The team at Kubi is the experts on that. You can get a free quote today on their website, kubienergy.ca. While you're on Instagram, why not give a follow to our good friends at Park Power at Park Power LTD. We've got about 2,300 followers already. We could bump them up to 2,500 just today, I would say. The neat thing about what Park Power does, yeah, they talk a lot about power. You know, for example, this tip, the cost of electricity far more volatile than the cost of natural gas. What does that mean to your bill? Well, go ahead and give them a follow. Give them a read on the post. But they also promote their community partners, like the nonprofits, the charities they support with their 10% promise, the proceeds from their electrical revenue. That's right. You can help out community partners just by bringing your business over to Park Power. And the promo code 2021-REALTALK means $70 off your first bill. No questions asked. Our friends at Eden Landscaping, it's Mike steering the ship there. want to remind you that just because we're getting into the late fall and pretty soon the winter months, it doesn't mean that your construction dreams have to stop. If you're still envisioning barbecuing under a covered space on your back patio in the middle of January... They can make it happen. If you're looking, maybe flipping through those landscape or architectural magazines at the trendy new three-season rooms that people are adding on to expand the footprint of their home, Eden does that too. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. I don't know who to go to first here because both of you kind of physically reacted. Now, this is one of my, I'm, I'm big on body language. And when I mentioned the word ally, in the context of Negan Sinclair's comment about indigenous identity theft, quote, it's who claims you, not who you claim. Both of you responded. Hoyles, what was it about the word ally that made you respond like you did sitting up straight in your chair? Well, I, we've had lots of conversations here on Real Talk about that very word and that it's it's easy. It's it's all that idea of performative and uh, and saying that you are something, but it, it really needs to be backed up by behavior and action. So really, it's about someone else being able to say, yes, you are an ally. Um, so I just, I, I don't know. Uh, he's such an incredible guest. I love hearing him talk. Um, he's not, a, he's not, uh, if I can just say, uh, like, he's not this like outrageous, no. you know, a lot of, a lot of people will come on the show, uh, on any show, quite frankly, in talk radio and the, and they'll, they'll have these sort of, they, they speak from a position of great conviction, mm. but as you're listening to them, uh, whether it's their takes, like their opinions on something or, or their proposed action on something, you go, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like just I'm sorry, but it's not realistic. It's not feasible. Nobody's going to do it. Nobody's going to take it seriously. We appreciate your passion. We thank you for coming on the show. That's not him. No, you know, he's a very reasonable fact based straight shooting guy. 
and I really appreciate his perspective. Sam, you equally responded uh, to the word ally. What was it about with you that resonated? I, I don't have much to add to what Sarah said other than just like it, it's, you know, it's been like a, a strong personal conviction for a while. I've been called an ally and and I've really, really appreciated it. I'll, I'll never call myself an ally. Like it, it's, you know, much, much like you said, and I kind of thought about that when Negan Sinclair was talking about being claimed by a community is that like, you know, that's a title that you have to earn. And it's a title that, that, you know, you can't earn it once and then you're an ally for life. Like you have to keep putting in the work. And I think that that's kind of what he was touching on with his whole mantra of, you know, you, you want, you want to be an indigenous person where indigenous people are now, but you don't want any of the trauma that led up to that, which is, you know, it's like it, it absolutely is a parallel situation. If I may participate in some real talk. Mm -hmm. I do respect the assertion that you don't get to call yourself an ally. I get that. Um, but I, but <laughs> I think uh, oftentimes we can we can get caught up in in um, the tone or the temperature of conversation on social media, uh, in particular, Twitter and Facebook. The Facebook comments section can, can get equally as uh, enthusiastic. And um, and so I appreciate that in the online comment sections that that people can 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 be sometimes very combative and definitive and lack a certain nuance or a certain open mindedness. Um, I do think that in real life, uh, sometimes those things change a little bit and the temperature drops, which is really great. Um, I had a conversation with somebody uh, I'm going to leave it private, but who has appeared on this show before in a position of authority as the leader of an organization. She was furious with our coverage of an issue and our exchanges online uh, were not positive. Mm. Um, and by our, I mean her email to me because I did not respond because I knew that I may respond with similar temperature instead I reached out to her and I said, listen, I understand your position from your perspective through your eyes. I understand why you're upset right now. What I would love to do is grab a coffee and talk. And I can tell you that it was a wonderful hour of exchanging ideas and meeting each other where we were at and helping each other understand our motivations. For example, when we have conversations on the show, I think sometimes people will feel that this person was on Real Talk and they have earned the Jesperson or the Real Talk stamp of approval by appearing on the show. That's not how it goes. No, we'll have guests on the show. Where I'm like, you're out to lunch or I don't agree with you entirely or I agree with some of the things you're saying or you are speaking my language. Like there's a big, broad spectrum. My point is meeting this person in person allowed us to right from the outset have a wonderful productive respectful conversation and i'm proud to call her a friend and happy to call her a friend and she'll know exactly who i'm talking about so i think that that happens with regards to the word ally i sometimes think that it goes a long way you know bios on social media are big and i know that sometimes and you kind of wince hoils a little bit but sometimes you'll see somebody that will say ally and have the pride flag there and i do think sometimes that's simply like 
maybe the metaphor will fall apart upon further reflection, but because we're live, let me say it back in the day, the families that had the block watch sticker in their front window, where you were taught as a kid, if anything ever goes sideways, if anything is ever wrong, this is a house you can go to. You can ring the doorbell real quick. If the door's unlocked and you're in real trouble, you might even be able to run right into the house and scream help or let them know you need help. They can help you if you're lost. They can help you if someone's following you in a car. They can help you if kids are beating up on you and bullying you. That block watch or block parent sticker was a communicator that this is a safe space. And I think that sometimes in real life, people with nothing but good intentions that put ally in a bio and the pride flag to indicate what they're talking about or Black Lives Matter or Every Child Matters or what have you. I think that that's valuable. And I think that it's also valuable and comforting sometimes in a real life situation, especially when the temperature is heated for somebody to, to simply say, listen, I'm with you on this. I'm an ally with you on this. It's not a dirty word. It shouldn't be a dangerous word, but I certainly understand the premise that it's something that should be bestowed upon you as something that you you know take on yourself. I understand the premise of that. I also think that in real life, sometimes there needs to be room for nuance. Absolutely. And I think that this is something that evolves. Language does not stand still. Totally. It is not something that is like set in stone. It, it, it morphs. It's a living, breathing thing. So yes, the reason why I winced when you said the social media piece is because I used to put ally in my, yeah. in my Twitter bio and I'm like, oh, cringe. Yeah. And, and some people might be changing theirs right now. And I went and I changed mine because I was like, oh, I learned more. Yeah. I learned that it's not something that I can bestow on myself. I can, I can commit to making, uh, taking action and showing up for, you know, vulnerable communities but that doesn't necessarily make me an ally I jill uh, sorry to interrupt i didn't mean to interrupt you else jill has hit the nail on the head on the live chat she says it's okay to try to be an ally it doesn't mean that you assume that you are yes. and fully understand these issues and can speak for marginalized people oh yeah and i love nicholas in the live chat saying like a nickname you don't get to make one up for yourself i mean i would like to comment on that on a number of levels <laughs> <laughs> was that nicholas yes nicholas my man you cannot nickname yourself you cannot you simply cannot <laughs> i remember my dad telling me this was like i was probably like eight or something and and must have been one of my friends called me jespo in front of him and I remember my dad saying they used to call me Chespo in school. And I was like, oh, that was like that was like when I like tattooed it across my chest. <laughs> Not actually. Um, I appreciate real talkers. The conversation on this. These are, We have so many conversations that, believe it or not, we didn't plan out ahead of time. It's kind of the whole point of real talk. It's a big part of the point of real talk, and it means so much to have audience members along with us. Literally 95% of our audience, actually more than that, does not join us live, which means we also want to remind you that we love hearing from you, your emails, your tweets with the hashtag real talk. Uh, you can hit us up at any time, 24 hours a day when something resonates with you. We love hearing from you, and we do have... Our email of the month officially launched now. We're going to pick one email every month on the first of the month or as close to it as we get on our broadcast calendar, whatever the first day of the month is. And we will award an email of the month. You're going to get a brand new real talk. I don't know. I said brand new. You're going to get a used mug. No, you're going to get a. <laughs> what is that? The big don't promotion? worry. We have a dishwasher. You know, you know, we've made it big when we're giving away 
brand new mugs. Ooh, shipped right to your door. But which one? Yeah, well, I, and this is this is like well, we're down to scarcity with the ceramic diner mugs, like the, the OG original version one, Real Talk mugs. Um, Katie, who does an amazing job, uh, our our merch coordinator uh, out of Calgary, she she let us know we are running low on the diner mugs, so we've got these new mugs. Uh, you can check them out. Oh, shall I show them to you on our website, RyanJesperson.com, under the merch link? Today, they've officially just launched today our new Crescent mug. This is the Real Talk mug 2.0, the Crescent mug, bit of a different shape, same great quality. And of course, we've launched our Real Talk golf balls as well. Perfect stocking stuffers. And for now, I can say I can guarantee you now on the 4th of November, if you order them today, you will get them in time to help out Santa. If you want to pad those stockings with anything that Santa has not yet delivered, we give you our delivery guarantee regardless of supply chain issues. If I have to drive them there myself, I better be careful. Someone's going to order from Thunder Bay and I'm going to be like, oh, geez. Oh, load boy. up the Jeep. Let's we've been go. talking about a tour anyways. Right? We have so, been. Yeah. Oh, we've still got big plans for the Real Talk cross country tour. But first, each and every Thursday, right around this time, courtesy of our very good friends at Prairie Catering, we offer somebody an opportunity to eat your words. And today, we turn our attention to the leader of the Bloc Québécois. Yves-Francois Blanchet yesterday speaking to reporters said, hey, listen, with regards to Jason Kenney's plan to introduce a change to equalization, uh, to essentially alter the equalization formula, of course, if you open it up, it means everybody gets to, the co- uh, to come to the table. And uh, Mr. Blanchet has a few ideas. Here he is. Let's open the Constitution. Gonna have a party. Uh, we have some proposal about that also. We proposed uh, green equalization, according to which we calculate the average emissions of a jurisdiction in Canada. Those who are above this calculation, let's say Alberta, pays. And those who are under this average level, receive the money because they perform well in terms of fighting climate change. I would like to have discussions about that also. But I still say that the best solution to all of that is for all of us, independentists or not, investing a significant amount of money in Alberta and Western Canada in order to help them get out of this toxic economic model. (laughs) So, like, you love to see it. You love to see it. And I just know, I mean, I could tell that my my two uh, sort of like mischievous looking giggly colleagues here would probably love to chime on in this as well. But I, but I must insist, I've got a few things I'd like to say first. You love to see it. The Watcher says it looks like Kenny and Blanchette cacked it all up. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that this falls on Monsieur Blanchette at all. As a matter of fact, sometimes I can't stand the guy, but this makes me want to buy him a beer because, you know, and winding up holding a referendum that costs Albertans tens of millions of dollars to try to whip up the anger machine toward Ottawa to open up conversations around equalization and wind up costing Alberta more 
would be the most Kenny thing you could possibly do. I mean, the only way that Jason Kenny's referendum on equalization could get more expensive would be opening up the formula for everybody else in Canada to have their say. And with regards to where we're at now on climate change, where we're at right now with regards to the priorities of what prompts Canadians to vote and for whom, it's the climate. Mr. Blanchette knows exactly what he's doing by suggesting that the polluters pay across Canada. I mean, only Jason Kenney could find a way to get Alberta to pay more to Quebec. I know, save your emails. Alberta doesn't pay Quebec. Alberta, Albertans pay income taxes and it goes to, Quebec, to Ottawa and then Ottawa distributes. The, we get how that goes. But this is... You know, guys driving around in 1976 Dodge darts with bananas stuffed in the tailpipes are saying this is a backfire. If you've ever seen one, this is it. Equalization's not getting opened up. And you know what? Speaking on behalf of it, Alberta, speaking on behalf of, you know, speaking as somebody that wants what's best for this province, thank God. Because this is just one look, one peek into what one jurisdiction would be looking to alter on this formula. Why don't we just keep it as it is right now? Probably best for Alberta. It's only a matter of time, of course, until Jason Kenney takes credit for the formula as it stands. Because, you know, of course, him and former Prime Minister Harper and everything, they're the ones that drew it up, right? This was his formula in the first place. Just a reminder that sometimes all of that bluff and bluster that comes from politicians like Jason Kenney is just that and deserves to be treated as just that. So, as a return honor, and on behalf of our friends, no, let me not implicate them in this. I'll make this my invitation. Premier Jason Kenney, on behalf of Monsieur Blanchette, the people of Quebec and Canadians from coast to coast to coast, we invite you to eat your words. Presented by our friends at Prairie Catering, who want to remind you that you can check out everything that they do at prairiecatering.ca, including hosting your team's company holiday party at the AGA. Give them a follow on Instagram at prairie.catering. You can see what those events can look like. What a stunning venue for teams big and small. The Art Gallery of Alberta has facilities that can accommodate what you're looking for. And if you book Prairie Catering to cater your team's holiday holiday party maybe you're doing one of those virtual parties you want people receiving fabulous meals at home or maybe you've got an idea and you want to know if they can help you pull it off you can check them out online you make sure you heard about prairie catering on real talk and of course if you mention eat your words they've got some special promotions in store for you all the details at prairiecatering.ca you knew when we were taking a look at that Blushette video yesterday, we it was just like people were giggling. And it's very rare that you get people. And, and again, I'm painting with a big, broad brush and I'm stereotyping everybody. And I know that there's going to be exceptions. And I'm the guy that talks about nuance. I am introducing absolutely zero nuance to this point right now. But it's very rare that people on the prairies are cheering and applauding and laughing and clapping at something that Monsieur Blanchette will say on behalf of the Bloc Québécois, but that was the case yesterday. Absolutely. I mean, the one thing the man does is <laughs> not pull any poke, punches. Poke, 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 yeah, he poke. just and he loves it. He does. He just says it in such a snide way. I don't know. 
I I, th- I think that he's uh he brings some truth. Yeah. Uh, or bo- or boatloads of it. Premier yesterday uh, called the Bloc Québécois fringe party. Yes. Which I thought was pretty amazing. The PPC is a fringe party. I tweeted this yesterday. The Greens are a fringe party, like it or not. The Bloc Québécois is not a fringe party, right? The Bloc Québécois, I, I saw, had, had way more votes in Quebec in the federal election than the United Conservatives had in Alberta in the latest provincial election, you know, just for one point. But you don't get to look at a party that has double-digit MPs in the House and call them a fringe party. I know that you were giggling about this because you're still giggling about this. But what did you make of it, Sam? Well, I, I, first, first of all, Blanchette's voice is like butter. I love listening to the man talk. He's out to lunch half the time, but I, I mean, love if, if listening I may, to the man can, talk. Can I get, and I'll hand, the, I'll hand the conch back to you in just a second. But we need to save butter. I think I described Peter Mansbridge's voice as melted butter with maple syrup on pancakes. <laughs> At best, Eve Blanchette's voice is, I can't believe it's not butter, or maybe even margarine. It might even be Pam cooking spray, but I'll take the point. We got to save butter. Butters for the butters for the Mansbridges of the world. Okay, the James Earl Joneses of the world, the Morgan Freemans of the world. Fair? Is there a woman's voice that you can? Well, why don't you tell us? No, you were making the point. Yeah, I don't have to make every point. Like, I, hey, you want real talk? Like, I, I should have named someone in a wheelchair. I should have named someone that's gay or lesbian. I should. Oh hey, God. no, hundred percent. If that's what you're going to hold me to, but these are three names that came to mind. This is real talk. You stay this deep in the show, you get the real talk. I those were three voices that really resonated with me in the moment. But sure, I mean, I'm going to hear Sarah McLaughlin perform tonight. M- maybe that. I, I don't know if that's butter. I would. I would describe it. You know, Sarah. Sarah, you know, Sarah it's like ice cream. Hoyles Let's call it ice cream. has a voice like butter. <laughs> she names herself. She names herself. Okay. I don't even know you what I was need any talk help about anymore. That. I interrupted I, you because you described Eve Blanchett's voice as butter. Well, yeah, and I, you know, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll describe it as a couple notches below margarine. Butter. Margarine, we will accept margarine. I got no beef with margarine, but um, I okay. What I just, what I think is like just mind boggling to me is like, you know, once again, Jason Kenney wants to be Yves, Yves Francois Blanchet. Like it's just, it's so obvious when he draws these comparisons between like Alberta and Quebec that he's just like, the man is just jealous. He wants the UCP to be this, you know, thorn in the side pot stirring party that is constantly at the prime minister's throat except like i i got news to you jason you're not a federal party and you don't do anything in federal politics even though we know you so badly want to so it's just like like that's just it like him just calling blanchette a fringe party well he's like he's no more of a fringe party than the ucp is quite frankly he's it's 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 not negotiable they are not a fringe party. That's just a ridiculous assertion. I just thought he it was teed up for him and he smashed it. A lot of people are saying Ian Handsome Man thing certainly has a butter voice, which I think would qualify. It's still all dudes. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot. Ella Fitzgerald is one that's coming to mind. Right. Um, I, I think of like, I mean, there are there are so many powerful narrators to me. Kate Blanchett. Someone just uh tweeted or sorry put in our live message sure Escher says Sam I totally agree with you Um, if I can fill it this is not Escher's comment but I'm going to add to it Sam we're with you despite your two ridiculous colleagues in the studio Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> Asher says, Monsieur Blanchette does have such a great speaking style. What I love, can we, can we, I don't want to, I don't want to screw you over here, Sam, but can, can you tee that up for me again? And I want to, I want to go in uh, to his comments again. We're not going to play the full one again, but I just want to, like the first five seconds are marvelous. And this is, it's, and it has partially with apologies on the podcast. Although, you know what? You can hear it. Like in an interview, if you're listening to us on the podcast, if, if, if you're one of the majority and you're out walking your dog or driving around or whatever, you know, you can hear when someone's smiling. See, I just, I'm doing it right now. You can hear that I'm smiling. You'll be able to hear what I'm talking about with Blanchette, but just let's play like the first five seconds and then we'll duck out. Here it is. Let's open the constitution. Gonna have a party. <laughs> like, uh, like, let's open that. the constitution. We're gonna have a party. <laughs> like, it's just like the best, but not the best, but the best. Kind of like Brian Jean seeking the leadership. Well, he's not. Okay, let me not get ahead of myself. Brian Jean seeking the nomination to run in the by-election for the seat in Fort and blah, 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 blah. Brian Jean wanted to become leader of the United Conservatives. Many conservatives will be saying today, the best, not the best, but the best. Some things can just be the best. What the hell are we even talking about? Anymore? I don't know if we've been this unhinged for a while. Well, but you know what? We're actually also <laughs> remarkably on point. Yes, that's true. The biggest sale of the year continues at Sherwood Dodge. No fun in the Real Talk studio this morning. St. Albert Dodge as well, where they've got still great selection on the 2021 Jeep Grand Cherokee L. This is the first time that the best-selling SUV in North American history. They've only had SUVs in North America for, since like the 1980s into the 1990s. But still, still, since that moment. You know, you have like the Ford Explorer and the, the, the GMC Yukon. And you've got all these. Everybody loves the Escalades and all that kind of the BMW X5. The Grand Cherokee, year after year after year after year, outsells them all. And now that third row of seating is drawing a lot of people in. I've sat in one. I've driven one. They are beautiful. And you're not going to find a better selection than you will today at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. They can share their inventories. You can shop online. Just follow the links on our website under the Sponsors tab. Or, of course, you can go see them in person. Great teams there and a big shout out to them. The teams at Local Waste, and I'm talking about in Saskatchewan and Alberta, are ready to talk anytime if you have any need for a bin. I mean, this could be a construction project underway. A good friend of mine, Jenna, is is GCing. She's general contracting her own foundation redo on her heritage home. Unbelievable. So you better believe I was in her ear. I was like, Jenna, who's handling your construction bin? Localwaste.ca. You can keep it local and get a better deal because they fight for your business. But like in a totally nice, responsible, integrity-driven way, you can find their teams online at localwaste.ca. Give them a call at 780 or if you're in Saskatchewan at 306-992-2913 tomorrow, Local Waste presenting Trash Talk. A chance for you to get something off your chest, whatever it is. Doesn't have to be politics. Doesn't even have to be serious. You can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. The team at Westworld Computers has a ton of different specials you may want to check out right now if you're looking to upgrade your gear from an Apple Watch to an iPhone to an iMac. Maybe a nice big unit on the desktop at home the whole family can use. But check this out. They offer financing options as well. You can apply for a Westworld credit card today. Get the financing you deserve. You'll find it online at westworld.ca. 
And a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. No doubt still riding the high of topping that $1 million mark in donations to the Stollery. Thanks to those of you that showed up on Miracle Treat Day last week. They want to let you know they've got their flamethrower burger ready to rock right now. That's that 100% all beef patty topped with the fiery flamethrower sauce, the pepper jack cheese, the jalapeno bacon, the tomato and crisp lettuce that everybody knows that comes on those DQ burgers served on a warm toasted bun. It's going to get your tongue going a little bit, that flamethrower sauce. So why not check out an Oreo mocha fudge blizzard with real Oreo cookie pieces, choco chunks, and coffee blended with their world-famous soft serve to blizzard perfection. These are the Dairy Queens at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Sometimes I think the show might be a little more focused if there wasn't a plexiglass window into Sarah Hoyle's mind. I can see the facial expressions. I can see the smirks. I can see your eyes dance as they do. And the minute I started talking about the flamethrower burger, I'm afraid to even ask you erupted yet again without us losing the partnership. (laughs) What was it that made you laugh about the flame? I just, I just have a way with words. Thanks. Just it was about getting the tongue going. <laughs> oh, yeah. The flamethrower burger. Yeah, getting you know. that old tongue going. Well, what's going to drive a thousand people to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? The promise it's going to get the tongue going. <laughs> Sweetheart, pick up a couple flamethrower burgers on your way home for date night. If you know what I mean. Let's get the tongue going. I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> Coming up tomorrow. We're going to talk provincial politics, a couple of fastballs over home plate with the new leader of the Alberta party and a friend of mine, Barry Morishita. Plus, COP26, we'll talk climate change initiatives. What's real? What's BS? What do people need to take away from it? Amy Westervelt, Mark Linus will join us. It's going to be a great conversation, plus your emails as part of Trash Talk. Had a lot of fun today. This has been a great show. Thanks for being a part of it. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.